We're going to... We're going to start... There we go. We're going to start tonight's show off with a public service announcement for vaccinators and healthcare workers in their vicinity. We've had an incident that has been brought to my attention, ocular surface erosion after suspected exposure to evaporated Corona-19 vaccine. So what happened? Well, this is a vial containing a half a milliliter, a single dose of the vaccine was accidentally dropped to the floor and broken. The CoronaVac was evaporated over time. 15 of the 20 healthcare workers in the facility had symptoms. Four of them developed skin rash. These personnel included two people who were in the room an hour or two after the accident and stayed for two to three hours. Extreme caution should be taken to avoid broken vials, spills, aerosolization of the CoronaVac during vaccination Vaccinators need to be extremely careful handling this toxic chemical and making sure that they are only injecting it into people's bodies. In other news, the battle for production has been won. Completed returns show that the standard of living has increased by no less than 20% over the last year. All over Oceania, there have been spontaneous demonstrations of party workers, voicing their gratitude and joy. In honor of this massive over-fulfillment of the ninth three-year plan, it has been announced that the chocolate ration is to be increased by 25 grams per week. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world. I'm Sam I am. Welcome to the Lifeboat live stream. Boy, those are always get my heart pumping when I have one shot to do it. Okay, we're going to talk tonight and go through um, what Gert has been up to because he's come out with a new 45-page self-described manifesto. And in this manifesto, he sort of lays out his theory, his understanding of what's happening specifically related to the coronavirus, all of these variants, and the impact that vaccination is having on, uh, on that process as it evolves. And it paints a pretty uh, disturbing picture, and it's, it's a rather complex topic. I've taken this interview right here that he did with Dr. Uh, Saeed Haider, um, and I've spent a lot of time cutting it up, rearranging it to try and give it, give you guys something that's really boiled down that you can follow along with a little bit of explanation from me. And that's what we're going to go through tonight. So we're going to jump in. There's, there's a lot here, but this is, I think, very important for you guys to understand, especially if you're vaccinated. There are some things you can do to sort of mitigate or lower your risks related to reducing sugars and and so forth we're going to get into as much of that as we can but let's start with uh this right here you know i'm not a virologist i'm just an md and so we, we don't learn as much as you do and nowhere near but our kind of simplified understanding of things is that viruses tend to evolve away from um you know causing serious disease because if they kill the the host they'll have less chance of spreading 
that's a nonsense. You know, all, all a virus can do, side, you know, is it can replicate, we agree. Mm. It can mutate. It can hide in our genomes, like viruses like uh, HIV, uh, you know, CMV virus, etc. But the virus has no brains. A right. virus will not say at some point in time, oh, wow, guys, I, I've done sufficient harm to this population. I, I'm going to tune down a little bit, you know. If this, if this impression of people exists that the, the virus gets attenuated, this is simply due to the fact that the population is building natural immunity. And by building natural immunity, look at a natural pandemic. You have this wave and then you have a second wave and the third wave is already a much lower and smaller wave and then it is disappearing. So the, the smaller wave, you could say the virus uh, is attenuated, you know, it has become milder. No, the immunity has grown and immunity, because it's sterilizing immunity, this natural immunity has. That's the key. It's sterilizing. What these vaccines are is non-sterilizing, and that's going to create a really big problem for the vaccinated. And I was one of the people who were saying that's what happens. It, you know, viruses come out and they become less uh, virulent, less, you know, they become more infectious and less virulent. Well, he's saying, no, no, they have two basic purposes uh, that they're trying to achieve. They want to replicate and infect and like, that's it. They don't really care. They're not trying to think they're trying to do those two core functions. And what the vaccine has done is created roadblocks for it to work around. And the workarounds that are happening as a result of the mass vaccination campaign are actually going to be detrimental to a lot of people's health. And that's what he's, we're just starting to get into here. Wiped out the virus to a large extent, it will not eradicate it, it will just control it, right? So that is a completely wrong and false impression. And that is all based on a natural pandemic. The situation we have right now, side. So what he just said there, it's not that the virus changes over time, but people's ability to fight it and its ability to circulate in the population. That's another key point that we're going to sort of harp on tonight. The fact that uh, the infectious pressure has increased and it's become uh, more infectious. More people are catching it right now. We've got loads of examples tonight of uh, these medical officials that are all sick with COVID all of a sudden, you'll understand why that's happening as well. Now, here's what happens with the vaccinations. It's completely unprecedented. We never, ever had this. We have never been doing mass vaccination campaigns in the midst of a pandemic with non-life vaccines. This is a non-life vaccine. This is not a live attenuated vaccine. This is not like the measles or the mumps or the rubella or the oral poliovirus or whatever, right? So, um, so that is my answer to that question. Now, what these people should do? Well, very clearly, as so, so what I'm saying, and, and this should be simple, the, the, the culprit or the non-deuterizing antibodies where people, essentially the vaccinees, have high titers of, of, of those non-neutralizing antibodies that are continuously boosted by the circulating Omicron. So we need to prevent this continuous boosting of antibodies that have a detrimental impact. Right now, they are still preventing severe disease, I agree, but they are generating massive pressure and the virus will break through that pressure. So the organism that is 
not the strongest, but that is the most adapted, that is the most adapted to the current environment will survive. So you have to imagine viruses replicating all the time. There is plenty of mutations. All of a sudden, you are now you know, making life difficult for the virus because you will, of course, to some extent, diminish the viral load by increasing mm. this, this, this immune pressure. Right, right, right. Well, automatically, those mutants that happen by chance, that happen to be more resistant to that environment mm. of pressure, will, will gain a competitive advantage. Yeah. It is a natural selection of variants that in that particular environment, and here the environment is the immune pressure, will gain a competitive advantage, will therefore be fitter than the previous variants. And if you do this as a, at, a, as a, at a massive scale, they will even become dominant. If you just do this in a few people, I mean, when this virus is transmitted and they land on the mucosa of people who don't exert this immune pressure, the effect is gone. But if you now do this, uh, you know, across all age groups, this virus is going from one person to the other and regularly encountering this difficult environment. It will go to its garage and it will take the off-road motorcycle that is better suited for this rough, you know, for this rough uh, landscape. So what he's pointing out there is that the vaccinations have created this roadblock and Delta and then Omicron were the ways around it to render it not just obsolete, but actually helpful in going on to, you know, its two main objectives to replicate and infect basically. And of course, What are we seeing now? New data from Walgreens reveals the unvaccinated have the lowest positivity rate for COVID. Triple and double vaccinated groups have the worst rate. And we're going to see that theme all night long as we go through this. So the data is now supporting what Gert is describing, and it sort of makes sense what he's saying. I hope you, I want, I tried to break this up as much as I could, but didn't quite have enough time. Um, I want you guys to kind of see the parallels to what he's saying versus what the health officials are doing. Okay. The non-vaccinated per definition have not, not been vaccinated. They are not troubled by these non-neutralizing antibodies. And on the contrary, for these people, the Omicron that is currently circulating is just serving as a live attenuated vaccine. Remember like a child, for the people who are not vaccinated. it These other variants come out and they basically work to give you a booster shot, right? Because they're, they're significantly different from the original virus, but because you have natural immunity instead of single antigen, like, you know, the vaccines only produce the spike protein, the S1. Well, what about the nucleocapsid protein, the N spike? That's another way that it can recognize, and that one doesn't change as often. Then you've got the shell and the envelope and so forth. All of that stuff gets sniffed when you do natural infection, when you do vaccination. It's only the spike that the immune system is recognizing. So when you, like when I got Omicron, I think around Christmas or so forth, uh, I was sick, you know, not, not bad at all, but about a week or so, and then it cleared. It was just like a cold or something. 
Um, that my immune system came in, recognized what was happening. Oh, we've seen this guy before. Recognized the N spike right there. Recognized these bits on the shell. This is definitely a virus, and the innate immune system comes in and kills it. Okay, what's happening with the vaccinated is it's binding to these spike proteins, but they're not. It's not shutting the process down. Okay, that has its natural immunity. It's innate immunity. You vaccinate it with a live attenuated vaccine, you know, and it will it will train its innate immune system. It will build some acquired antibodies. The combination of both is going to provide a strong and effective and you know immunity that is capable of eliminating the virus. So of course, of course, they are saying, yeah, you know what? There is also plenty of people who are unvaccinated or landing in a hospital. And then I'm saying, listen. If this is true, and that is true, that Omicron is right now serving as a life attenuated vaccine for the non-vaccinated, and you as an MD will know this, you would never ever, you would never ever vaccinate a vulnerable person, like an elderly person, somebody with underlying disease, or even a young child that is not in good shape with a life attenuated vaccine. So the people that we are now seeing, the unvaccinated are landing in those hospitals, you know, the vast majority of them have underlying disease, predisposing, predisposing, uh, you know, conditions uh, or, or in one way or the other, not in good shape, uh, et cetera, et cetera. We will see within this in the coming months in one or the other of the highly vaccinated countries, we will see that um viral variants will become dominant that are not only more infectious, but that are more virulent and even highly virulent. And unfortunately, this will first of all affect people who have the highest non-neutralizing antibodies. So, you know the sequence how we vaccinated first? So it's basically going to do what Delta and Omicron did for infectiousness, but this time around the next two or three or you know however many it ends up being the next waves will focus on pathogenicity creating the disease because there's a couple processes that he's going to go through i'll explain one of them briefly to you um dendritic cells in the upper respiratory tract the um virus can mutate to basically hitch a ride on those and transport down to the gastrointestinal tract and get lower in the body. And uh, right now, there's a process called, um, oh, transference something, anyway, where whereby it basically infects an endothelial cell or another cell in the lower respiratory tract that it couldn't access now, but that process is being prevented, right? And so what does that mean? That means that these vaccines have also put up a block for infectiousness, a block that's going to be worked around, uh, not for infectiousness, I'm sorry, for um, transference, basically, uh, I guess an infection that's going to cause disease. So that's what's coming next. And it's what he's trying to say here is, it's only for the people with these non-neutralizing antibodies, the, one that you, the ones that you get when you take the shots, right? And in the non-vaccinated us, our immune system is going to see it. It's going to attack it. And 
on the other side of that, we will come out stronger. Okay. The elderly, then younger age groups and adolescents, then the children, etc. That is exactly the sequence, you know, that will um, that will be affected by uh, this kind of evolution that tends to generate, uh, you know, or that tends to promote the propagation of viral variants that not only are highly infectious, we do have those already, but also more virulent. And what kind of damage uh, this would cause and what kind of mortality and mobility and what kind of social and health consequences, I don't know. On one hand side, it is intriguing, it is fascinating, the, the, the versatility the power of evolution, the power of nature, how sophisticated this works, right? It, it's just fascinating. On the other hand, you know, when humans intervene in uh, a way that is completely thoughtless, right? That is uh, arrogant, so to say, that is not based on science. But behind the scenes, are you in touch with other virologists who have the same, you know, thoughts that you're having who agree with you? Or are they, are no, they really in disagreement? A few, a few, a few. But um, so I would say, uh, side the and and you know I, I think it's very important to to be humble and uh, not to overestimate your knowledge. For example, you will never hear me talk about you know in depth about side effects or early treatment or this type of things. Not that I'm completely unaware. Not that I'm not following this. But I'm not a deep expert in this field. I've already been concentrating on this interplay between virus and the immune system for a long time, long before the COVID pandemic started. Okay, and I want to point this out. Everything that he's talking about tonight with like what's happening, what's coming with these new variants, we're strictly talking about COVID infections. Okay, so this is not, you know, at the same time, you've got all of the damage that the spike protein is doing in both the vaccinated and the unvaccinated, but uh, the infected basically. But in the vaccinated, they're getting that spike at a much, much higher level. Um, and that's creating the um, autoimmune diseases and the attacks on all of the organs and creating the, the fibrotic uh, diseases that are starting to develop and all of the heart attacks and the white strands and the uh, veins and so forth. All of that is like a, a whole nother ballpark. Okay. He's just talking about what's going to happen to um, the vaccinated here when these new strains become dominant because of the environment that these, these vaccines and not only that, but the way that they've deployed them to everyone has created this huge pool of, um, people that are susceptible, okay? And, you know, putting together these different disciplines and virology and evolutionary biology, you know, and immunology and vaccinology and even biophysics, to some extent I was heading up, uh, uh, you know, a, a division of um, uh, biophysical characterization in, in the vaccine business, you know, studying the interactions, for example, you know, of... Uh, of, of several different components with uh, vaccines, etc. Like we are talking about different, a different type of interaction of innate antibodies with the spike compared to the specific antibodies. I think in all modesty that I'm one of the very few that is able to bring these pieces of the puzzle together in a way that the puzzle makes sense 
and that you can compare this to what is actually happening and that you can explain this and that you can predict this and validate uh, your hypothesis, uh, these uh, predictions. But yes, of course, there are people who are behind the scene telling me, yeah, Geert, I mean, we support this, uh, this is right, etc. There is few and certainly people, you know, who are still in their official positions, they will refrain, of course, from um, raising their voice and, and speaking out. Unfortunately, this is, uh, this is uh, very, very unfortunate. But um, yeah, I, I was always saying, uh, uh, you know, in my first interview that one of the most renowned vaccinologists on this planet, I will not reveal, I will not disclose his name, you know, who knows me pretty well, told me from the very beginning, Geert, you're right. These vaccines are just going to breed variants, but nobody will listen to you, right? I mean, this is, it's, it's, this goes beyond the science side. I mean, there is so many things uh, involved all. Uh, I, I get criticized, I get fact-checked, not that much anymore. But uh, nobody from industry where I learned my job, you know, is criticizing me, is telling here what, what, what kind of nonsense are you telling? You know, these are the people who know what's going on. It's not in academia, right? I mean, they are living in their, their ivory towers where they're specialized either in vaccinology or in immunology or in virology. But in these companies, they have the luxury, they have the money to bring the best epidemiologists, immunologists, virologists, vaccinologists, molecular biologists around the same table, right? If you earn uh, four or five thousand bucks a month as a professor of immunology, they want to have you. They tell you, you should be double this or triple this. Just just let us know, right? <laughs> these are the people and they have the opportunity to put these people around the same table and to, to discuss. But of course, I mean, this is now a game of their shareholders, right? Make money. WHO being you know, completely, completely ignorant and, and incompetent. Compromised. They have completely misjudged the situation and opened the door to industry. Of course, if you open the door to industry, I mean, that is that is their objective. That is their business plan is to make money and to enrich the shareholders. You cannot stop this, right? That is how you have to see this. You don't even have to go to kind of like uh, conspiracy theories, etc., if you see how this works, I had an opportunity to look behind the scenes, the scenes of these global health authorities and in industry and uh, etc. So it's it's no longer about uh, the scientists. Uh, uh, I I have a dream. Yeah, my dream is that one should replace the vaccine mandates by debate mandates. There should be an obligation for the scientists to discuss this. This obligation has never happened. The discussion has been led by politicians, by uh, public health authorities who have no clue, you know, who are overloaded with bureaucracy, who are talking all the time, you know, uh, going on all kinds of media, on TV, uh, every time telling the same nonsense, right? Absolutely. And of course, here's where they're going. Canada's federal health minister today suggested mandatory vaccines could be inevitable, but that it would be up to the provinces to initiate that. It is just ramping up the controversy at a time when people are reaching their limits with this pandemic and pressure is mounting on everyone to get vaccinated. I will give you a personal point of view. Absolutely clueless. I mean, this is exactly what he's describing. This is going to make the situation worse because you're going to have a larger reservoir of people who are going to be susceptible to this new strain that brings higher virility. If, yeah, I think that's the right word for it. 
um, that's basically going to cause severe disease in a greater and greater number of these people. And, you know, add to that fact, it's the vaccinated who have this fibrin floating around in their blood. They're developing cancers and having uh, viral outbreaks of shingles, herpes, monkeypox, you name it, it's happening. Um, yeah, so, all right, let's keep going. It's personal and not necessarily relevant because this is a decision that will be made by the provinces. I personally think we will get there at some point. Mandatory vaccination. It means the onus is on provinces. Absolutely clueless as to what they're doing here. Of course, look at this. Mysterious spike in uh, New Brunswick, Canada uh, deaths in 2021 is not due to COVID, the health minister says, but she's just befuddled at what might be going on here and where these 636 extra deaths have come from in over a 20-week period. They just, just can't figure it out. Not really sure what exactly is, uh, is going on there. We just don't know. And while it's promising to see the first round of people getting vaccinated for COVID-19, a new problem that blood banks are facing is less convalescent plasma donations. So the reason why after you get the vaccine, you can no longer donate that plasma. So the question is, what does that mean for the people who are sick in the hospital with COVID who need all of that plasma to survive? Brianna Whitney explains. Vitalant Blood Bank says right now, one in every four patients hospitalized with COVID-19 requires a convalescent plasma transfusion. So this was early on in the pandemic. I want you to go back to this because this is significant and ties in with what Gert's been saying. Listen to why they can't give blood. But in order to keep that going, donations have to keep up. And with the vaccine here now, they need more donations than ever as the number of eligible donors goes down. I am Why is it going down? absolutely grateful and thankful to be alive. Just weeks ago, Arizona State Representative Lorenzo Sierra was on a ventilator with a 13 to 33% chance right, to live from COVID-19. Spike antibodies and for convalescent in my recovery. But now the worry is if donations can keep up with demand for those who need it like Sierra did. This is all happening. It's changing every single day. Once people are vaccinated, they cannot donate plasma. Vitality. Why is that? Blood Bank says the reason why is because the vaccine causes spike antibodies, and for convalescent plasma, they need nucleocapsid antibodies. Not the S spike. They need the N spike. The vaccine doesn't do anything against the N spike, and that's why it's not effective against coronavirus, because it's too narrow, single antigen, and they knew it back then. Vitalant says they're working with the FDA to get permission for those who had COVID before and have donated plasma before to continue doing so after they get the vaccine. We're hoping that that uh, permission will come through in the next few weeks, uh, you know, up to a couple of months. Representative Sierra says he plans to help as many COVID patients as possible while he can. Hopefully I can give plasma at least a couple of times before I get my vaccine. Okay. If you had COVID 28 days ago or more, you're eligible and encouraged to donate your plasma to any of the Vitalant locations. So they went to the FDA and they said, hey, what if somebody already had COVID and then gets vaccinated? They will have the nucleocapsid antibodies. Can we use their blood? Well, remember this right here we went through last week in the show? 
what happens if you get the virus and then the placebo, this is trial data that they looked at, 95% have the, the anti-nucleocapsid antibody. If you're in the second group, if you get the virus and then you get two shots, 96% have it, so you still have it, okay? But if you get the two shots first, then you catch the virus, that's the number three down here, then only 40% had the nucleocapsid antibodies. That's what they were not finding in the blood. Why? Because the vaccine is not just um, pr producing the, the spike antibodies, it's produce, is preventing your body from producing in nucleocapsid antibodies in the future in like 40, uh, 56%, 53 to 56% of the, the people that, that, you know, go through this. So these shots are detrimental to your immune response if you get them before you catch the virus and a little, you know, who knows what the long-term benefits are, are, uh, picture is going to look like, I suspect it will start to decline. Uh, if you get the placebo and then the virus 93%, which just suggests that it builds over time, right? The longer you've had the virus, the more likely you are to have these uh, anti-N nucleocapsids. So more support for what Gert is saying, that natural immunity is more robust, can handle these variants, and that it's the vaccine non-sterilizing antibodies that are creating this um, first round of infectious pressure, right? Because it would grab it, but it wouldn't, um, it wouldn't kill it, wouldn't sterilize it. So then it evolved to still be able to go about its business, even though it's been you know, docked to the antibody. Send it all to, to all public health authorities, uh, to FDA, to NIH, to the w, uh, WHO, et cetera, et cetera. So what did he do? He wrote this 45-page manifesto. You just heard him there say he sent it to all the public health agencies or, you know, around the world. Please read this. Please change course. What you're doing is going to result in absolute disaster. Uh, for them to know that there is very clearly people that based on scientific evidence uh, are warning, continue to warn against the very deleterious uh, development of, uh, of this pandemic, which they tend to make people believe uh, is over. Uh, recently, Fauci uh, was even saying, well, the pandemic phase is over and this thing is now becoming uh, endemic and we will need uh, to live with it, right? Has anyone gotten back in touch with you from the WHO or the FDA or any of these organizations in any country um, to, to debate you or to ask you for more information? Um, has anyone replied? No, well, debate, uh, debate will no longer happen. Uh, they have pushed it uh, so far that I think for them there is no way back. Uh, but I do think, I do think that they do read my, uh, my reports. And I, uh, I think that even because I even sent this report uh, to Bill Gates in person, for example, and uh, you may have noticed that uh, very, very recently, even Bill Gates was warning against uh, kind of like, uh, un you know, unfavorable development uh, of this pandemic that uh, he would not rule out. And initially... Uh I've seen that clip. I tried to find it. I it was one of the ones I couldn't locate before the show. But he's basically, yeah, we, you know, we got a lot of things wrong and so forth. Um, 
he was kind of like suggesting that it would maybe. And of course, Gert used to work for the Gates Foundation and I think also with Navi. So like he's got Bill Gates's personal email address and could send him an email if he wanted to. And that's what he did with this report. So Gates has this information, has his detail in this 45 pages. He even outlines like the suggested genetic mutations that might happen to bring this, this whole thing about that he's talking about. So he's even laid out, here's a possible mechanism by which this is going to occur. And that is that the virus remains highly infectious among the vaccinated and the unvaccinated who are high risk, uh, pre-existing conditions, that sort of thing, immune compromised. Um, and th- like they, so they, they have to know, they have to know be unlikely but uh, it seems like uh, he doesn't think anymore that it is that unlikely so he kind of changed his tune a little bit but that didn't last very long as you're going to see here in just a second there's a clip that just came out a few hours ago but in the meantime Pfizer's COVID-19 or COVID vaccine protection against Omicron fades just weeks after second and third doses study finds now that shouldn't be any surprise to any of you Because we've been looking at the Public Health Scotland data and seeing exactly that. The expose um, website breaks that data down beautifully and has been showing that for months and months and months. But now they're finally forced to admit it. Okay. Even our public health officials and so to say our key opinion leaders, they don't understand this thing anymore. They don't know where it is going they are saying things like, yeah, probably we will have to learn to live with this virus. They don't believe in herd immunity anymore. They do not rule out, look what Bill Gates is saying, that you know it will become very dramatic. Others are saying, yeah, we may need to vaccinate people like every six months, etc. Come on. The bottom line is they have no clue. They don't understand. And this is very, very, very dangerous. You know, doing a massive intervention, a massive immune intervention on the population and really an experiment, something completely unprecedented, not knowing, having no clue where this could uh, potentially go. It's very, very dangerous. Of course, here's Dr. Monica Gandhi. Tools to keep COVID endemic are now here in all caps, right? She's very excited. Long thread to explain that we now have all the tools necessary in the U.S. to keep COVID and the in, in the endemic and out of the emergency phase. She, she literally has no clue what she's talking about. No clue what's about to happen. No clue what they've done to people's immune systems. At this point in the pandemic, May 2022, world and U.S. is seeing its lowest number of COVID deaths since March 2020. Yeah, because the virus evolved to um, conquer infectiousness. Now it's going to conquer pathogenicity. Here's a map of the COVID deaths worldwide per uh, our world data. The WHO laid out a plan to exit the emergency phase of the pandemic, given the data as explained below. And you can see, yep, we're getting back down to pre-pandemic levels there. So it must be over. We've solved this, of course, It wouldn't look like that at all if they had not mass vaccinated people. Uh, Here's the U.S. uh, COVID deaths. Of course, again, these are only COVID deaths. What's the problem with that? Well, we're going to look at that in just a second. 
And they're saying, she's pointing out, uh, deaths were low, but the Delta variant coming to the U.S. in July of 2021 put our states in stark contrast per vaccination status. Why? Because they created a non-sterilizing vaccine that stopped disease and, and tried to stop infection, but it worked around that and became highly infectious but non-pathogenic, uh, pathogenic. Okay. Yes. Yet, but that's the, what Gert is saying. That's what's coming in the next phase. Okay. And so they're pointing out rightly. So now with completely oblivious to the freight train, that's coming down the tunnel that, well, see deaths are down and all of these, uh, unvaccinated people are getting sick. And that's what Gert is explaining. Those are the immune compromised, the people with pre-existing conditions and so forth, getting this. And because their immune system is weaker, they are more susceptible to hospitalization and death. Okay. During the Delta surge in the U.S., which it started in July 2021, this paper showed that the that hospitalizations were inversely related to vaccination coverage across U.S. countries, meaning COVID cases were decoupled from severe disease in highly vaccinated regions, which is true, right? Because, and this is what Gert is actually criticizing them for, stopping hospitalizations is not a valid metric. You have to stop the spread by killing the virus. And then you reduce transmission, you reduce the number of people that are getting it in the first place. You guys have done exactly the opposite and you're bragging out of ignorance and it's about to blow up in their face because of all of these people that have been boosted with these non-sterilizing antibodies, when the strain comes around that is able to infect and cause severe disease, they're, they're going to be in a position to help it right along. Then came along Omicron in December of 2021 was the first case in San Francisco. COVID hospitalizations were still vastly influenced by vaccination status with two doses Vaccination status in adults being highly protective against hospitals. Now it's waning a little bit. Now they're just highly protective, right? And during Omicron surge in U.S. BA1 winter of 2021, there were estimates that over 60% of the U.S. population saw the virus so that the rates of hospitalization now among vaccinated and unvaccinated individuals closer since so much uh, natural immunity now. Well, not quite, right? The vaccinated don't have natural immunity, Monica. If they got the shots before they got the virus, they don't have the nucleocapsid. A lot of them won't have the nucleocapsid antibodies. So you've set up a system where you've just turned them into easy targets for the next variant to come along and make them sick. And that's what we're going to see. Uh, in fact, the CDC seroprevalence uh, study published in April of 2022 shows that exposure to COVID in the U S has been high. Yeah. Because y'all created infectious immune pressure for the virus to mutate, to evolve and become more infectious. And that's what it did. And now it's going to become more pathogenic. You can tell if the, if exposure has happened by measuring the anti-nucleocapsid antibodies, which are generated only by infection, not by the vaccine. Yep. You sure can. The seroprevalence study estimates that almost 60% of adults and 75% of children, 0 to 18, 
has had natural infection or exposure to the virus, but this combined with 82.5 of our population in the U.S. five and under having had at least one dose. Let me see. I'm not sure what she's saying here. Sorry, guys. Okay. If we accept the premise that hybrid immunity, two doses of the vaccine plus infection or infection or at least one dose of the vaccine seems to be the strongest form, it's not. Remember what we just looked at? If you get the virus first, that's that's the best. Behind that is you get the virus, then you get the shots. The last place is if you get the shots and then the virus. That's the worst outcome. With seroprevalence study from the CDC yesterday, 60% of adults have had COVID uh, and 75% of children, 0 to 17, have had COVID exposure, so highly infectious again. And now you have this huge pool that's set up for the next phase. Uh, Studies showing hybrid immunity, both immunologically, uh, see the whole virus plus the vaccine, which generated T and B cells and epidemiologically. So I don't know that they're even separating out when you got the shot versus the virus, or maybe they did. And they're, they've kind of rigged the study knowing what we looked at earlier. So, How do we stay in endemics phase and keep populations safe? At this point, we have many tools to, (laughs) it's likely that older populations and immunocompromised will need a booster dose each winter. Yeah, well, maybe more than that, according to Bill Gates here, as we're going to find out. And so on and on, this woman is just absolutely clueless, has no idea what's coming and thinks continuing on course is exactly what should be done. And she's got all the evidence to back it up and none of the common sense to go along with it. Because here's what's happening. Only eight nurses at the ER, this is Ontario, Canada. Eight nurses at this ER tonight, eight should be 22. I can't tell you how scary this is. And, and this woman's one of them, one of the nurses that works in the ER. And she's saying, we got to pass this bill that limited our wages because they have socialized medicine up there. Having only eight nurses in an ER department means not enough hands to run a code blue or even safely care for patients. I've never seen or heard of anything like this in my entire career. It's only getting worse. Please vote. And it's like, yeah, voting is not going to solve this problem. Okay. It's just not. So you, you had had your, what your two, you had had two, you'd had two uh, vaccinations and then two booster shots. Is that right? That's right. And you know, for people over, you know, 50 or 60, uh, they'll probably have to be boosted every six months until we get even better vaccines. So I've been trying to figure this out for myself. Uh, I assume you know the answer to this, so I'll just ask you, um, when do you get boosted again? I mean, now that you've had it, you know, I've had it around the same time. I've only gotten three shots total, only been boosted once. I, I guess we have immunity for a little while, or, but when do you decide to get boosted again? Uh, yeah, so an infection where you'll get a high viral load would be like vaccination. Uh, but, you know, to be safe, every six months, uh, you're probably going to be vaccinated. As we get more data, they might even make that shorter for people who are, oh, every three or, months. You know, Quarterly say, shots. 60 or over 70, where the duration seems to be a bit lower. Um, so we're in for ongoing vaccination to stay absolutely safe. We're in for ongoing vaccination or you're dead, basically. And if you keep going with the ongoing vaccination, you're dead. 
they have no clue what they're doing. And just like Gert said, they're just going to, they're too far down that road. They're going to stay the course. They want to save face. They're not going to come out and admit what they've done, even though the evidence is right in their face. We should get back to the beginning with the Wuhan, where the infectious pressure was pretty low. The only way to do that is to massively implement antiviral chemoprophylaxis. But I agree with you. You know, they're stillborn. They cannot get back anymore. It's too late. They cannot afford to lose their face. And they will continue, unfortunately. And uh, if these things start to become uh, pretty worrisome, for them, it will probably even be a sign or a signal uh, to move on with the Omicron vaccination, right? So that is the unfortunate thing when uh, there is no debate uh, possible anymore about science and about these complex things, because this is very complex, interaction between a virus, the immune system at the population level, taking into account human intervention with vaccines, et cetera, et cetera. And if this is not taken seriously, and if the science uh, is ridiculous, and if you know people are simply told, you know what, don't worry about this, get your shot, uh, make sure your children get the shot and you'll be fine. I mean, yeah, what, 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 then you can only leave it to nature. It's, there is no other choice. So, and if they double down on the current approach and develop Omicron specific vaccines? You're just going to expedite the growth of the immune pressure on the virus. And in this case, it is the immune pressure exerted by the non-neutralizing antibodies this is to say the immune pressure exerted on the virulence. Initially, it was the immune pressure exerted by the neutralizing antibodies. This was the immune pressure exerted on the infectiousness. What I predict for sure is that the health system will crash, right? Because right now, and this never happened before, this never happens during a natural pandemic. How many months have I been saying exactly the same thing? I can't believe I beat Gert to the punch on that one, but he's coming to the right conclusion and he's going about it a different way. I knew this die off was coming and there's no way with all these people getting sick just from the side effects of these vaccines, not, you know, he's again, strictly talking COVID, COVID infections, bringing down the hospital system. He's not even really focused on the vaccine injuries and all the stuff happening there. And he's saying the hospital system's going to collapse that hospitalization rates and death rates are completely disconnected from the infectivity rates. Remember, look at any natural pandemic, you, and, and this was also the... And see, this is what they were bragging about after, of course, they it, it came out that, oh no, it doesn't stop you from catching COVID and you can still get sick, but oh, it'll, it'll be milder, is what they told them. These people will literally like believe anything. The, the case with this pandemic at the very beginning, you had an infection wave, a wave of, of cases. You could predict for sure few days, few weeks thereafter, we will have more hospitalizations, we will more deaths, etc. Now this is completely, completely disconnected, right? So this is, th this is a very, very worrisome evolution. Back in July uh, 21st, Boris Johnson in uh, the UK for the first time lifted the lockdown measures. Because he was saying, yeah, we have high infection rates, but look, hospitalization and it's, it's pretty low, so we, we, we can go. So what you allow the virus to do with this is spread and spread and spread, uh, become more infectious for those who have already been vaccinated and there's non-neutralizing antibodies. And therefore you induce, you increase even 
the immune pressure they are putting on the virus and, and you drive it to immune escape. So this is going to evolve in an exponential way. It's going to be very, very fast, I think. So that's why I'm saying I'm expecting this kind of evolution within the next few months. I thought that the, uh, the very... Okay, I want to stop down right there. So kind of what he's calling for is just like we had with Omicron. First, it was Delta. I think there, there were like three or four that were kind of sort of vying for dominance and then Delta. And then that was quickly replaced by Omicron, which became the one that everybody got, right? He's saying the same thing is going to happen as it starts to figure a way around what's preventing it from creating infection and the illness, okay? Because what he says is the virus wants to make people sick so that they're spreading lots and lots and lots of it. And the way it does that is by infecting uh, the cells. Violence and infectiousness would evolve at the same time. That has not happened. Uh, we have had a first stage where the virus, you know, uh, become more infectious. I, I should say where the, uh, the mass vaccination has promoted the propagation of highly infectious strains. So that has happened. That was right. Yeah. But that, you know, then the evolution to more virulent would only happen in a second stage and would therefore delay a little bit the kind of catastrophic consequences that I have pre been predict that I have uh, yes been predicting uh, in March uh, 2021 uh, that 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 will get uh, delayed because yeah it's 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 in two stages I I thought this could maybe take place in one stage but I, I'm telling you it is so sophisticated when the virus would do that in one stage it would all of a sudden give too much of advantage to the virus wipe out the population and then there would not be so the virus does it's really you know it goes high infectiousness and then it starts you know because why because it's highly infectious but if you have very uh, if you have many asymptomatic cases very mild diseases that is not an interesting situation for the virus to replicate and propagate it you want more sick people really spreading it, and that's going to make it even more uh, infectious. It prefers to shed have people shed lots of virus, people mm -hmm. who have really the disease or even have severe disease, and therefore it becomes now, you know, it's highly infectious, it spreads, but, you know, the shedding is relatively limited, so it will add, you know, now progressively another stage where it will become on top more virulent. So you could imagine that we would have a sequence, a pretty rapid sequence of more infectious and more virulent strains Delta, that are going to Omicron. succeed one another, right? So that is what I'm, I'm predicting. I'm definitely predicting, I, no doubt about this, that the virus will backfire and that we will unfortunately, in contrast to what Fauci and a number of these experts are saying, that we will not be left with a mild virus that is highly infectious and that we will have to live with and that we can control by continuing vaccinating people, etc. When you Because that only works if you don't interfere and you allow nature to take its course. What they've done is put up roadblocks that the virus is going to work around. It's already past the first one. The second one's going to be deadly. Push, push it to the extreme, you end up with a virus that becomes even resistant to the neutralizing antibodies. That enables the conversion to the immune pressure 
from the non-neutralizing antibodies. Because yeah. those are so somewhere you need this conversion. You can only have this conversion from one immune pressure on infectiousness to immune pressure on virulence, provided you generate non-neutralizing antibodies or you have the preponderance of non-neutralizing antibodies, which can only take place when the virus becomes, of course, resistant to the potentially neutralizing antibodies. So what he's describing there is kind of this dance that goes on. This one will kill you. This one will let you live. And what the virus is doing is adapting to prefer the one that will let you live than the one that will kill you. Makes, hopefully that makes sense. And that's what he's explaining. That's what's already happened. And it's because of those people that have the one that have the antibodies in there that it can bind to. They're the ones that are going to be more susceptible when it becomes more uh, virulent. Right. So it is proceeding virulent. in two steps. I didn't forecast this, uh, but yeah, it, that that is what is uh, what is the case. And the first step has clearly taken place. All you see right now is that the Omicron is still, you know, some variants are still becoming a little bit more infectious than the previous one. But we are reaching this plateau. And in the meantime, we are already, by virtue of these non-neutralizing antibodies, exerting a lot of immune pressure on viral virulence. I mean, and I, I would argue that I think we're already starting to see uh, some of the early stages of new strains that are going to become more deadly and that we're seeing people die of COVID, uh, of long COVID is what they call it, but this is what's happening to them. That, that is not a stable situation. You know, you can believe me, this, this protection against severe disease right now is not real immunity, right? It is just inhibition of the trans infection at the lower respiratory tract, okay. but that will be overcome because it is an immune pressure. It is exerted by antibodies, right? So this is where he's talking about the infections that are coming, right? And what he's going to describe is the virus hitching a ride on these dendritic cells, making their way to new areas of the body where currently they're being prevented from infecting cells, but that's what they're going, what the virus will eventually evolve to overcome. And that's when you get lots of new sick people because now they're getting infected in, in their GI tract. Okay. And of course, let me uh, go to this right here. Um, remarkable. This is a, a case study from the Lancet. Number one, mild SARS-CoV-2 infection in children results in the persistent infection in the GI tract. What do you suppose might be happening there? Then repeated activation of the immune system against staph-like superantigen on the spike protein. This triggers a non-productive, non-sterilizing T-cell response. This is exactly what Gert's describing. And it's already starting to happen. It, at least I think that's what's happening. So he's the expert, though. And that pressure can be overcome because we cannot kill the virus, because we cannot prevent it from transmitting. We have been warning against the fact that these vaccines could not prevent the transmission of the virus. So that these uh, vaccines, by you know using them uh, in, in a mass vaccination program, would not be capable of taming the infectiousness of the virus and that the virus would continue to transmit. 
with this mass vaccination, all we have been doing is putting the infectiousness of the virus under tremendous pressure. So we have been chasing this virus, putting tremendous pressure on the infectiousness of the virus without being able to uh, cut, of course, the chain of transmission. Now that we have a highly infectious virus that doesn't seem to be very virulent, that doesn't seem to be very pathogenic, that all we are doing is in fact suppressing the virulence, the pathogenicity of this virus. So initially, we didn't realize that we thought we were uh, in fact having an impact on the infectiousness of the virus, but the virus came back, overcame this pressure that we were putting on the virus, and now strains like Omicron, and there are several different variants, and variants, as you know, are even more infectious. So the virus overcame this pressure. We are suppressing the pathogenicity, the virulence of the virus. And it is very clear that the virus will also overcome this second hurdle. The first hurdle was to overcome the pressure on infectiousness. It has done this because Omicron has be become dominant. Right now, it is working to overcome the pressure on the virulence of the virus. When you generate antibodies that are very specific against the virus, what we do with normal vaccines, this is a fantastic thing. You prime people and these antibodies, they are directed you know, against a specific antigen on, on the virus. They react with... He's, of course, talking about the, the spike protein, S1, okay, that the vaccines are causing the body to produce. It's very effective at going in and killing the original Wuhan strain, which is not circulating anymore and is gone for all practical purposes, right? With high affinity, very, very important, with high affinity, they can neutralize. That is no problem. But of course, if you use very specific antibodies against variants, you know, uh, viral species that do no longer resemble, you know, the virus that was used, so to say, for making the vaccine, then, of course, you have a problem because these, these non-neutralizing antibodies at that moment, they're still capable of binding to the virus by doing that because they have higher affinity than innate antibodies. They outcompete the innate antibodies without being able themselves to neutralize the virus. So you bypass the innate immune response that naturally, to a large extent, protects people, certainly all healthy people, young people. It's and by the, that innate immune system is what's going to come in and kill the virus. Okay, so that's what he's explaining. Whereas instead, you're you're setting up this environment where the virus is basically protected by these non-sterilizing antibodies and allowed to sit there and try and figure out a way to get loose and do its thing. Sit right, and certainly children, you bypass this and you replace it by something that is not sufficiently efficient and that enables the virus to, therefore, to escape from that immunity. Omicron is now largely resistant to the potentially neutralizing antibodies that are induced by the vaccines. So scientists have, in several different publications, clearly demonstrated that because of this situation, the non-neutralizing antibodies against spike are now becoming predominant. So this is to say that if the neutralizing capacity of the antibodies diminishes because the virus becomes resistant to the antibodies, 
then and only then the non-neutralizing antibodies can bind to the virus. When the neutralizing antibodies bind to the virus, the non-neutralizing antibodies have no chance to bind to the virus. And this is the process that's happening slowly over time. That's what I wanted to kind of just break in here to get you guys to think about. It's not a flip of the switch. Well, this one had this combination of amino acids and this one doesn't. So, or proteins and this one doesn't. So that's what did it. It's like a gradual thing where it's gradually shifting from one to the other and eventually it tips the scales. And that's what we're moving towards. Okay. If the neutralizing capacity diminishes, that means that the strength of binding of the neutralizing antibodies diminishes because the virus becomes resistant to those neutralizing antibodies. Then the strength of the non-neutralizing antibodies, uh, the, the binding strength to the S protein becomes much stronger. So that means that somebody who is sitting on antibodies that have no longer neutralizing capacity for example, somebody who got vaccinated has plenty of antibodies, but these antibodies are directed against the Wuhan strain, whereas now we have the Omicron. So somebody who is sitting on these non-neutralizing antibodies will become much more susceptible to the infection because these non-neutralizing antibodies will bind to the spike protein, and by binding to the spike protein, the infectiousness of the virus increases. And again, this has been shown in peer-reviewed journals that people who are vaccinated are more susceptible to infection with Omicron, right? And we've seen that five to six X is that number. You're five to six times more likely to catch COVID if you've been vaccinated. And that right there is why. So now there is something, something even more important. So what I told you so far is pretty simple initially we have been putting immune pressure on the virus by doing mass vaccination. The virus has overcome this immune pressure because we were unable to prevent the virus from replicating and transmitting. And the virus has pushed it so far that it has even become largely resistant to these potentially neutralizing antibodies. As an immediate consequence of that, the non-neutralizing antibodies are now capable of binding much stronger to the spike protein. And by doing so, they are making the virus more infectious for all those who are sitting on such non-neutralizing antibodies. And these are primarily, of course, vaccines. Because it's basically getting a free pass to run around your body without getting killed. Okay. That's what vaccination is meaning. The antibodies that are getting created, that they're measuring and touting as protection, are actually did protect you, you know, from the original strain, but now are going to endanger these people because of the mutation, because of the um, escape pressure that the vaccines created. They've entered into an arms race. And if you've, you know, there's this great documentary on this snake and a fish, I think it is, in one part of the world that sit there and bite each other and the, like the fish or whatever it is can paralyze the snake. The snake can paralyze the fish and it's, the toxin levels are so high. It's one of the, two of the most toxic animals on earth. And it's because 
they've engaged in this arms race to each outdo one another in order to survive. And they've just kept ramping things up and ramping things up. That's their plan. That's where they're taking this. And it means shots for life. I mean, you just heard Bill Gates. I mean, if you're over 50, might be every three months. It might be quarterly. You might need more than twice a year. That's where they're going. Because they have all been vaccinated with spike protein from the Wuhan strain, whereas now we have an Omicron that is completely different. If you do this during a pandemic, you're continuously, continuously uh, having people that have not have gotten the opportunity to build full-fledged immunity and you are already potentially bombarding them with the virus. So the immunity is not mature, the levels are too low, the virus can easily escape. And that is how ultimately we get to the, you know, we promote, we promote the propagation of more infectious variants. And that's what we have seen. Since the mass vaccination started, we have not been generating new mutants. I never told this, these mutants existed, but we have been promoting the dominant propagation of this, of these mutants because they got naturally selected and because we were massively vaccinated, the, the vaccinating the population. And that created an environment that was more suitable to one strain than another and allowed it to rise to dominance. They had an opportunity to become dominant, right? And that is what we have been seeing since this mass vaccination. If you look at the natural pandemic, you have a wave path is joining the baseline, then it takes off again, joining the baseline. Now, you know, you see a decline. It's not joining the baseline anymore. It levels off and then it is already ready to start a second wave. Now, that was his prediction, and what he thought would happen was is then deaths would take off very quickly, and that he said it didn't happen as he expected, but this is why. What he's just explained is why. He thinks that's still coming, but it's going to take more time because there are more steps, hurdles for the virus to overcome. And you have the, the intervals between the, the waves are diminishing. You know, the frequency of these waves becomes higher and higher. And basically, on average, on average, you see that the infectivity level is high, right? So we don't get rid of this high infectious pressure, which would be required in order to drive the virus into an endemic phase. So in other words, we have not enough herd immunity. Why don't we have herd, uh, not enough herd immunity? Because for God's sake, we are we are preventing the biggest reservoir of herd immunity, like young children, young adults, etc., who have very good, you know, innate immunity and can generate a lot of herd immunity. We are vaccinating them, thereby preventing them from generating that herd immunity. So you can see it in the curves. I mean, there is, there is the infection rate is not declining. Okay. Now, listen to what Bill Gates. He's, he did a TED Talk. He's unveiled his plan for the next pandemic to create this germ group, which is this globalist uh, wet dream where you have the WHO in charge of all the pandemics globally. And you've got, uh, you know, remember when, uh, who was it, Klaus Schwab talked about they've penetrated all these cabinets of national governments around. Well, he wants to, Gates wants to do exactly the same thing here. Well, let me back you up. Know, it- he wants to do exactly the same thing with his germ group and put them in the local health organizations around the world so that they can push their influence and, and so forth. 
and dictate to the entire world what we must do to, uh, you know, follow their protocols because, well, I mean, they've been so accurate and correct up to now, right? In this epidemic, if we'd been able to stop it within 100 days, we would have saved over 98% of the lives. It's funny, you know, if you would have allowed ivermectin, like Gert was talking about, and actually treated people instead of sending them home, waiting for them to get worse, to come back to the hospital where then they could be run through the... Uh, the old cash register and and build the government for 150,000 plus then we wouldn't have had th that many deaths either but they don't want to talk about that now we did have countries that did a good job australia's an example they orchestrated diagnostic capacity they came up with uh, distancing policies and quarantine policies and so their overall death rate per capita will be well less than a tenth of other countries mm -hmm. But we did not, as a world, uh, contain it. And that's what we have to do next time. By contain, he means we didn't stop infection. And actually, glad he brought up Australia. It is number one for cases per capita. They have more people sick, you know, per 100,000, I think, or this per million inhabitants than anywhere else in the world. And who's under them? Taiwan, New Zealand places that did the most lockdown measures, followed Gates' advice here the most, are places that have the highest COVID case rates. Why? Because they're highly vaccinated. And Gert just explained it to us. They've set up these antibodies that are, make them susceptible to getting sick and several times more likely. And it's only them, as well as some of the unvaccinated who are you know, immune compromised or pre-existing conditions, those are the at-risk groups because of those antibodies in their system that are going to allow this strain to thrive. Here's what's happening in Portugal. These are booster doses administered. You can see it's just climbing up and leveling off. Here's excess mortality. And you can see it's sort of making its way up. And then it kind of peaks and dips back down. And here's the two together. And you can see they rolled out the vaccinations in red. And excess mortality climbed right with it. And this is, um, well, here, let me finish playing. Love that voice. Okay, Texas Lindsay put that together. Um, she's she has a Telegram channel. Lives in Dallas. Uh, she has put these together for every country, and the story is pretty much the same. Okay, anywhere you go, the vaccinations correlate with the excess deaths in country after country. When COVID struck, we were almost like Rome before they had fire buckets and firefighters. Uh, we didn't have the people, the systems, or the tools we need. Now, with the right investments, we can... We can have a global takeover where we dictate health policy from the Billionaires Club. And have a whole new generation of tools, better diagnostics, 
therapeutics and vaccines. A good example uh, in the diagnostic area is this little machine. This is called the Lumira. Uh, we can have these all over the world that can test for any number of diseases. What do you want to bet he owns part of that company that makes that? That he's going to use his organization, his influence, the money that he pays to the WHO and others to push this on all of these nations to buy these so that he makes billions of dollars in the process. It's a tenth as expensive as PCR. It's absolutely as accurate and it's simple, so it can be used anywhere. Oh. We need other R&D investments. One that I'm very excited about is the idea of a drug that you inhale that blocks you from getting infected. Can be you mean like a fusion inhibitor, Bill? That the people working in the Wuhan lab were using to prevent them from catching COVID when they were developing the bioweapon that's been unleashed on us, all of us? Is that what that is? It blocks you from getting the virus? Sounds like a fusion inhibitor. Pathogen independent and trigger your immune system so that you'll be protected. Mm -hmm. Pathogen independent because it docks uh, at the binding sites, fills them up, can't park. So it gets flushed out. A lot of the tools, the diagnostic tools and those uh, infection blocking tools are important because they can be staged in advance. Yeah, well, we had them in advance, but y'all uh, instead chose to cover all of this up and let people die. Now, we also need vaccines, but we want to stop the outbreak before we have to do a global vaccination campaign. Uh, and so... Vaccines can play a couple of different roles, but not the primary role. We have to invest in more than just that. When we look at vaccines, they were the miracle of this epidemic. They saved millions of lives, but they can be far better. We they could need work. to invent easier to deliver they could vaccines not kill people. that are just a patch you put on your oh. arm or something. Just need a different delivery mechanism, I guess. Thing that you inhale. We need vaccines that actually block infections. In this Whoa. case, uh, there were lots of breakthrough infections. We need vaccines that are broad spectrum, so they work against most of the emerging variants. Oh, you mean like ones that work for the nucleocapsid and check the shell and envelope like you get with natural infection? Is that what you're talking about, Bill? Uh, which we did not have this time. And we also need factories that are standing by so we can build enough vaccines for the entire world within six months. And Which kind of makes you wonder, how do they build enough vaccines for the entire world within a few months for COVID? And achieve far better equity. The vaccines can also do something uh, that would be super helpful, which is to help us eradicate entire families of viruses. Oh. Uh, innovative new vaccines used properly could get rid of the flu family, the coronavirus family. And there's a huge burden of those, even in non-pandemic years. And if we get rid of it, it, it can never cause a pandemic. So, I'm so now they want to modify your immune system to completely eliminate certain viruses and just wipe them off the face of the planet because you know they figured out the intricacies of the immune system so well in this first go. They've clearly, they're ready for that level of complexity. Talking about investments in three broad areas. Disease monitoring, that's germ. Testing, where we can create a pandemic, whip up a pandemic anytime we need to. The R&D tools that... Bribing scientists so we can get them to go along with, uh, you know, whatever we tell them to. 
are far better. And finally, and the most expensive, is improved health systems. More controls over hospitals, free money that gets them to follow our ridiculous treatments of sending people home, waiting for them to die, basically. This won't be cheap, uh, but no, it'll it save won't. lives. And even it'll save money in the long run. Oh. It's uh, like an insurance policy. The cost to prevent the next pandemic will be tens of billions of dollars. Oh. But let's compare that to what we just went through. Uh, the IMF estimates that COVID has cost nearly $14 trillion. No. The wealth of the people were looted for $14 trillion by their criminal corrupt governments and handed out to people like you, Bill. And so we need to spend billions in order to save trillions. And here's the best part of this. Even when we're not having an outbreak, these investments like the Lemira, those new vaccines, they will make people healthier. They'll shrink the gap, the health equity gap, which is gigantic between rich and poor countries. For example, uh, we can detect more HIV cases and, and do a better job of treatment. We can. Funny you should mention HIV. It seems that's on the rise too completely unrelated to the vaccine, of course, and the damage it does to your immune system. Reduce deaths from malaria. Uh, we can get more people high-quality care. And so this is not just a downer about how to stop things uh, from getting worse, but also a chance to make things better. Mm -hmm. If we take the right steps, we can make COVID-19 the last pandemic. And we can build a healthier, more equitable world for everyone. Thank you. Oh, Bill, you're our hero. Let me show you in reality what his vaccines have done. Because there's another one that uh, Texas Lindsay has done here. And what this is, it's a breakdown of vaccination by income. All right. And so you can see what we're looking at here is down at the very bottom, down here are the low income, and then you've got lower middle income, and then way up here, you know, the lower middle income is like 25%, and up here at like 96, 98% is high income and high middle income. So the wealthier, more affluent people took these vaccines, the poor did not okay now watch what she does with this these are of course called cohorts right they're groups stratifications of data of subjects of people now here's deaths there goes high income upper middles coming right up with it Lower middle sitting right there in the middle where it was. And look at the low income. Barely moving off the floor. Barely moving. Of course, this correlates perfectly with the vaccines administered. There they are put together. And I want you, yeah, I want you to see that. It looks like a bunch of squiggly lines, but basically 
the low income rates are correlating, the middle lower low income rates are correlating, the high and the upper middle are correlating very tightly, suggesting that this is not a coincidence. These vaccines are absolutely killing people. That's another one by Texas Lindsay. You can find her on Twitter and Telegram. Uh, Great videos there. Okay. What else is going on? Well, we have this huge formula shortage, right? Because the FDA is saying that these plants are unsafe and we've got to close them down. And they've created this huge shortage. And at the same time, just like we saw with the whole alopecia thing, which I don't even think Jada, the Will Smith, Emmys, Oscars, whatever the stupid thing was, where he slapped Chris Rock. I don't even think she has alopecia. That was just one big commercial. Well, now that we're like, there's no formula in the store and they tell vaccinated mothers not to breastfeed, Bill Gates' climate change investment firm bets on lab-produced breast milk. Yeah. All this happened within a couple of weeks. And it's all coincidence, of course. How do we prevent something where we don't even understand how it came to be? Like, you know, are there labs where they need to do better at, 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 you know, in closing the work that they're doing? I understand that they have to do the work, but how do we figure that out? And how do we move forward in in that realm? Well, we shouldn't be. First off, they don't have to do the work. What they're doing is saying that they're working with live attenuated viruses in in an attempt to get funding, while in reality, they're actually developing highly dangerous bioweapons to use on people. Careful about lab safety. It's quite clear in this case that it came across through animals. Mm -hmm. And almost all our diseases, like HIV, crossed over from chimpanzees in Africa quite some time ago. Ebola came from bats. Uh, This also, uh, with one step in between, came uh, from... What was that step, Bill? Was that the the Bataloan, Paneloan orgy that they had and of course this he's defending the natural evolution theory of the virus which is absolute bullshit we've broken that down for you shown you the genetic hiv inserts the evidence of the inserts and you've got um oh gosh ralph barrick talking about the need to add a fur and cleavage site to the coronavirus which is what they went and got funding to do from the defense department Months before the whole thing broke out. Like the smoking guns are laying all over the room here. And they're still trying to sell people on this idea that, well, this thing just came out of nature. So it's going to keep happening, particularly with climate change, where we're invading uh, a lot of. They keep pushing this climate change. They want you to be very afraid of climate change because that's the next national international emergency that they're going to ramp up their power grab over habitats considering all of these factors the data on vaccine effectiveness the science on their ability to protect against circulating variants and our growing understanding of the low risk of transmission to others low risk of transmission to others this is what they actually thought You put this in context of what Gertz said and what he's about to say here. We're going to about finished with his thing. This is Rochelle Lewinsky, director of the CDC, telling people 
you've congratulations, you've done it. We've beat this thing. You can take the masks off and go back to normal. We've stopped the spread. Obviously this is before Omicron came out and completely bypassed it. And right now she's doing exactly the same thing. She is completely oblivious to the, um, more virulent strain that is about to come out because of what they've done and how they've done it. Combined with universal access to vaccines for those 12 and older, today, Bad idea. CDC is updating our guidance for fully vaccinated people. Anyone who is fully vaccinated can participate in indoor and outdoor activities, large or small, without wearing a mask or oh. physical distancing. If you are fully vaccinated, you can start doing the things that you had stopped doing because of the pandemic. We have all longed for this moment when we can get back to some sense of normalcy. Based on the How's that working out, huh? Continuing downward trajectory of cases, the scientific data on the How's that working out, huh? Performance of our vaccines and our understanding of how the virus spreads. How's that? Working out, huh? That moment has come for those who are fully vaccinated. Wow. They, like, he's right. When Gert says they just, they have no idea what they're talking about. They don't. They have no clue what they've done. Still don't. Scientists have shown in vitro studies, but it's very compelling, that the very same non-neutralizing antibodies that are increasing the infectiousness at the upper respiratory tract, or at the same time responsible for preventing severe disease in distant organs like the lower respiratory tract, but even other organs like, for example, the gastrointestinal tract. Remember the kids, persistent GI tract infections all of a sudden. Also the hepatitis, we're going to get into that as well. But essentially what he's saying, the next step is going to be for the virus to get itself into new places it can infect. And that is a process that has been uh, relatively well described in a sense that you have to imagine the virus in the upper respiratory tract is to some extent, to some extent caught by dendritic cells that are just sitting in the mucosa. And these are sentinels. They are just watching if there is something to catch. The virus will attach to these dendritic cells, will not be internalized, but will be absorbed to the surface of the dendritic cells. And these dendritic cells now serve as vehicles to transport the virus down to the lower respiratory tract. Okay? So there, at the lower respiratory tract, there is a process that we call transinfection. Is the transinfection? That's the word that I was looking for that I couldn't remember earlier. So now he's describing where the virus piggybacks, gets trans, a free ride to new areas of the body where it can then infect. Transfer of a virus that is absorbed to those dendritic cells, transfer from these dendritic cells to epithelial lung cells, alveolar cells that are susceptible to the virus. And so the virus is transferred from one cell to which it was absorbed at the surface to another cell that is susceptible, an alveolar a lung cell. And that process is called transinfection. 
So now these people have shown, again, that the very same non-neutralizing antibodies that enhance the infection at the upper respiratory tract can prevent, can prevent the trans-infection. And when you prevent the trans-infection, you prevent these lung cells from being infected, you prevent these lung cells from building, we call them syncytia. These are several different cells that are confluent and that... Okay. He's saying prevent, so it's only up in the upper respiratory respiratory tract, not the lower, because when it gets down to the lower, those dendritic cells are stopping it from infecting. That's the next blockade. That's what it's going to overcome and start infecting and creating GI and uh, infections deep in the lungs that will be harder to treat and far more deadly than if they had just let this thing run its course, because... It's using those non-sterilizing antibodies in order to get there in the first place. Or a sign of uh, pathogenicity. So this has been, this in situ have been clearly correlated with severe disease in people who died from severe disease. So what I'm saying is that now we are in a situation where uh, vaccinees are sitting because of Omicron on non-neutralizing antibodies that enhance the infectiousness at the upper respiratory, uh, respiratory tract. That's why they become more susceptible to infection. But that at the same time, is still suppressing severe disease at the lower respiratory tract because these antibodies, these very same antibodies, can prevent, can inhibit the process of trans-infection. So in other words, what I'm saying here is that now the virus is put under immune pressure from the non-neutralizing antibodies that prevent it from becoming more virulent, from causing severe disease. And provided we sustain this immune pressure, it is very clear that the virus will overcome this because don't forget the pressure is tremendous. Omicron is circulating. People have been primed by way of the vaccination and even boosters as well, right? If this, sorry to say, even if these idiots don't decide to come with an Omicron vaccine, everyone in the population is now boosted with Omicron because it is circulating. The vaccinees who are having non-neutralizing antibodies are highly susceptible. So they are highly susceptible to priming. So these non-neutralizing antibodies will very soon reach elevated titers in the vaccinees. And the more people we vaccinate, the higher the prevalence of these elevated titers of non-neutralizing antibodies. You can imagine all this stuff is putting tremendous pressure, no longer on the infectiousness of the virus. That has been done, that has been taken care of, but now on the virulence. And in that paper, I have even predicted what molecular changes could enable the virus to stay very infectious, but at the same time to increase its virulence. And this has to do with um, a kind of mutation site nobody's talking about, which is, you know, in virology, we know this is very, very important, is the insertion of a sugar, of a sugar at a specific domain, a glycan, we know that glycans, I mean, this is not, this is textbook virology, that glycans play a critical role, first of all, in subverting the immune system. 
because the glycans that are sitting on the envelope of the virus, these are self-glycans, you know, the virus is coming out of the cell and it is getting enveloped, in fact, so to say, with the membrane of the cell that has that carries self-glycans, glycans of our own body, and therefore these glycans are not recognized by the host immune system because they are recognized as cells, whereas they can hide and they can shield large domains on the spike protein so that these domains can no longer be recognized. The glycans, sugars on viruses are not only responsible for infectiousness, for causing virulence, but essentially also for immune subversion, for misleading the immune system and hiding certain antigenic sites on the spike protein in order to prevent the immune system from recognizing those. So right there, what's that's tell, what that should be telling you, those of you who are vaccinated, you need to really cut down on sugar. And there's a couple papers that I'm going to tweet out, put out on all the social media platforms. Uh, for those of you that want to read them, I reached out to a immunologist and so forth and asked, you know, like, what do people do to reduce these glycans and, uh, you know, give themselves an edge over people who have, you know, a lot of these helping basically mask the virus and it's reducing sugar and it's making sure you've got good gut health. That is so important. And the mind brain connection, we've got a story we may read. I, I don't know. We've got so much to cover tonight. Um, but those are two things that you should definitely focus on in the next three months, right? Like really start today. Reduce, she didn't say eliminate, but reduce your sugars significantly. And then you know, probably a probiotic or something like that to make sure that you've got good gut health and maybe even kombucha, drink some of that and so forth. Critically, critically important. Approximately 40% of SARS-CoV-2, of the surface of SARS-CoV-2, is covered by glycans, right? It would just suffice the insertion of one or two additional glycans for the virus to very rapidly escape to these non-neutralizing antibodies in order to increase virulence while still maintaining a high level of infectiousness. We have been severely disturbing a kind of equilibrium that has been established over millions of years, not just for SARS-CoV-2, but in general, how a pathogenic learns to live with the population without wiping out the population, still giving the pathogen a chance to replicate. All of a sudden, we are throwing a bomb on the a bombshell, on this balance. Why I'm saying a bombshell? Because the kind of immunity that is induced by the vaccines is not generating herd immunity. It's not generating sterilizing immunity. You heard me saying on the contrary, it is promoting the propagation of more and more infectious variants. And therefore it is enhancing the infections rate, infectivity rate in the population. This is exactly the opposite from what these vaccines were meant to do, generating herd immunity. And this is exactly the opposite from what natural immunity does during a normal natural pandemic, because the people are not vaccinated. They will be able, thanks to their innate immunity, and if they get a disease, you have to some extent acquired immunity, they will be able to, to generate sterilizing immunity, diminish the transmission, and because of the diminishment of the transmission, even vulnerable people, you know, could be protected. 
That is the definition of herd immunity. You, you can no longer have the And the way you do that, <laughs> you treat the symptoms, right? Instead of sending them home and saying, come back when you can't breathe. And then we'll put you on a ventilator and you'll have this slim chance of surviving. While we pump you full of toxic drugs that after three doses, you have a 25% chance of surviving. While we have an IV in you that's shutting, the drug shutting down your kidney and we're pumping IVs in you. So you'll probably drown in your own fluids that, you know, we're the cause of. But Fauci needed his numbers to, to run this pandemic. He couldn't have done it without a bunch of deaths. And the way he got those was through their hospital protocol. Right. And what Gert's pointing out is the proper way to address this is with things like ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, budesonide. You know, there's different protocols out there from FLCCC and F, uh, AFLDS and others. They're effective. They work. Doctors know how to do this. But what happened is you have this corporatization, the centralization of the hospital system, which is why it's going to collapse here soon and why Gert's telling us it's the hospital won't survive going to collapse. Um, it's because they have taken over, taken autonomy away from doctors by uh, turning them into employees, right? And like we have this system where it does, science doesn't work. Sorry, guys, y'all failed. You can say, well, I mean, this and that. Well, you're under a monopoly system that dictates what's science and what's not. So you can't have science. We don't have science now. What you have is this controlled group of lackeys who are doing the bidding of people with more money. Debate with virologists because they don't understand this. They see the virus as an isolated thing that has its infectious behavior intrinsically. What I'm saying is that now the intrinsic uh, infectiousness of the virus is completely modulated by the fact that this bound to, right. uh, to, to, to non-neutralizing antibodies, right? And that is, that is now determining the infectious behavior. First of all, the non-vaccinated don't have this enhanced susceptibility. The virus will need to implement changes, mutations, in order to overcome you know, the pressure from the non-neutralizing antibodies. These changes, these mutations will not fit with an immune environment where these non-neutralizing antibodies are not available, are not present. So I'm even predicting that the fact that this mutation that will affect the majority of the population, namely the vaccinees, and that will be over, able to overcome uh, the break on the virulence that is uh, taking place right now, that this type of variants will no longer be able to cause severe disease even in people who are theoretically vulnerable, provided, of course, they are non, not vaccinated. Because this mutation will no longer fit hmm. the immune status of the... So, in fact, the, the, the virus is adapting, is adapting... To become to more virulent in people who are vaccinated. Exactly, exactly. The combination with these non-neutralizing antibodies, that is what the virus uh, is adapting to. You will never, ever never ever control a pandemic by using hospitalizations as a metric. Why? Because hospitalizations have nothing to do with the infection rate and the transmission rate in a population. 
you heard me saying you can only control a pandemic provided you control the transmission rate and you diminish the, 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 the uh, transmission rate. So they are using the wrong metric and uh, you could say, yeah, but it is successful. Yes, when you are short-sighted and if you have not learned to look beyond the end of your nose, you could say, wow, today there is fewer hospitalizations. Uh -huh. What I'm telling you is that this diminishment in hospitalization is due to a suppression of severe disease that is due to non-neutralizing antibodies. This pressure is becoming massive while more and more people are vaccinated, whereas the vaccines do not work anymore because they cannot no longer induce neutralizing antibodies and they are boosted all the time by the circulating Omicron. So that means that when this change, when this variant will come, that I'm predicted, mm. predicting for sure, you know, everybody will be, you know, all vaccinees will be in bad shape and when they will then still use their metric of hospitalization, of course, I mean, it will be too late because, you know, the system will simply crash. You have to bring down the infection rate by massive antiviral chemoprophylaxis campaigns, not mass vaccination campaigns. Of course, those need to be stopped immediately. I mean, this is a complete nonsense. It's the worst thing ever. We would need to replace them in highly vaccinated countries not in countries in Africa that have like two or five percent uh, coverage. They're Don't doing care fine. About those. But in highly vaccinated countries, what we would need to do immediately, because the virus is now, right now, as we speak, breeding these more, you know, these infectious variants that are, you know, trying to find their way through this barrier of immune pressure on the virulence. And so we need to bring this down. The only way this can be done is mass antiviral chemoprophylaxis campaigns. And, you know, whether this is Paxlovid or whether it's Ivermectin, etc. I think it should be with an antiviral that is readily available, right, that is safe and effective, and that can be made available, you know, uh, in sufficient supply and at an affordable cost. Well, we could also diminish the... That is 100% Ivermectin, like pennies a dose in bulk. That needs to be going out to everyone at this point with what's coming. That's what's going to give these people a fighting chance, I think, one of the things. And it's starting to be made available more over-the-counter in certain states that are passing laws and so forth. But this thing's coming like a freight train, and I think it's going to take a lot of people with it, unfortunately. This pressure, by diluting, we could dilute this pressure by, for example, a baby boom. If we have a baby boom, all of a sudden we have more unvaccinated people. Oh, wow. Well, I'm ladies, I'm available for attempts. I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. This is not about me. This is about humanity. Or we could have massive, massive waves of immigration of people from non-vaccinated countries. Which is exactly what we have happening coming across the border right now. Most of those people aren't vaccinated, right? And they're coming in, they're going to be dependent on the democratic machine, or they're going to be grateful, I guess, show gratitude and vote for them because they allowed them to come in and allow them to stay and so forth and gave them, you know, free plane tickets and all the stuff to get them there. And they're about to have this mass of the vaccinated die off. And so that could very well be part of the plan to both 
destabilize and have a replacement and have a way out on the other side? What is key is that people begin to understand that this is complex, as you're saying, that this is really something that is uh, a very sophisticated uh, piece of theater of nature, right? That is very difficult to understand, especially if you now intervene with like things that we have never done before. If people would already understand that it is complex, that therefore it requires a very thorough debate before they simply decide to get their children vaccinated and that this debate should take place and that it is something completely different from just coercing people you know, to get vaccinated because otherwise they can no longer travel, they lose their jobs, they can no longer go to school, they can no longer go to campus, etc. If, if that is the only thing that people draw you know, as kind of information from our conversation, that would already be extremely valuable. Meanwhile, what do we see? This is from The Ethical Skeptic. And what you're looking at is the increase in all-cause mortality. You've got this faint green line over here on the right, which is the vaccinations coming in. And you've got this yellow highlighted area, 280,000 extra anomalous deaths in that time period up to now from about uh, week 14 of uh, 2021 to the current week. All of these excess deaths. You can see, I think that's the that 5.5 on the left side there is the um, sigma. So a, three, a 10% increase in deaths is a three sigma event once in 200 years. This is a 5.5. He's got other ones that are eight sigma events looking at certain uh, groups of people and the death rate, the excess deaths. All cause mortality is like, is the smoking gun that shows us something is wrong. They cannot hide these numbers right here. Okay. And there's a few more here that I'll show you. Um, so here's same thing. Uh, I forget how this one's broken out. Weekly arrival comparative between vaccinated and excess non-COVID deaths. So you see the red line there. That's, I think, the vaccination rate, something like that. And then you can see where they, again, start diverging right there. Same thing here. You can see this is an 8.8 .8 event. This one is malignant neoplasms, 8.8 .8 sigma. Way off the charts. This doesn't happen unless something fundamentally changes. There is something at cause causing these deaths. I'm starting to sound like uh, <laughs> the vice president idiot lady. Sorry. There's something has changed here. Like, you know, Cliff High told this story about an actuary guy that looked at these boats that had all sunk in this certain time frame and he crunched the numbers on it and said, nope, there's fraud. Go, go investigate. Hand it, so hands it over to the investigators and sure enough, they find there was a guy getting paid money to scuttle their boats, sink their boats for them, and uh, collect the insurance money. So, you know, this kind of stuff just doesn't happen. It doesn't get this far off unless something fundamentally changed. And what that correlates to by all these different metrics across all these different countries that vaccinated is the vaccine rollouts. 
There's another one. This is cerebrovascular diseases, 4.4, sigma, and it just goes on and on. Meanwhile, 22,100 royalty payments, these are legalized kickbacks between 2009 to 2014, totaling nearly $134 million were paid to the NIH and nearly 1,700 NIH scientists. So the very people making the recommendations that the government picks up and follows and tries to mandate on everyone, they're getting kickbacks from the pharmaceutical companies, which this is a massive conflict of interest, but they don't seem to think so. It's fine that Fauci's getting a little kickback on every vaccine. It's fine that um, Trudeau's company owns owns one of the companies or has a stake in one of the companies up there related to the vaccines, and he's getting a kickback on every shot ordered, which, by the way, he just happened to order millions of extra shots for some reason. <laughs> These people are all criminals, folks. That's what this is. Uh, this right here is the royalty income. And you can see what happened here in 2017, 2016. It starts going down. It starts going way down. Who was president right here in this section when it was going way down? Oh, that was Trump. And then Biden takes over and to the moon. Yeah. Okay. Types of um, either truly harmful things or maybe it's an image thing, but what are you doing in that space? There's no question that the communication that we had about this. So we got a little bit of a problem here. This is Lawrence Tabak. He's the acting director of the NIH who's, you know, getting all these kickbacks. They're, they're 115 scientists, whatever it is, getting hundreds of millions of dollars in kickbacks sent to them. Well, it turns out in the early days of the pandemic, they deleted, didn't really technically delete, but hid some entries, genetic entries from the database, which just so happened to be <laughs> the ones that were related to the coronavirus. Okay. And so he's being called to account for that because they're going to get to the bottom of this because government's always accountable, right? Sequence uh, archive, uh, sequence read archive, um, could have been improved. I, I, I freely admit that. Um, if I may, um, the, the, the archive um, never deleted the sequence. It just did not make it available for interrogation. So it, you have the information? We still? have the information. We so it wasn't, I, the way it was reported is it was pulled out, the, the, the early genomic sequencing was removed by a Chinese researcher. So anybody who submits to the sequence read archive is allowed to ask for it to be removed. And that investigator did do that, but we never erase it. Oh, so you don't have the information anymore? We, we do. We, we never erase the information. We keep it. So they were, with it, they were able to withdraw public viewing public of it? Public viewing. That's correct. Okay. So researchers can apply to the NIH and get the information from you. And, and so in the way that it was originally um, eliminated, um, from public view, it was um, withdrawn. And that's the most difficult for people to, to access. Especially the error that was made. Given, you know, 
they were related to the coronavirus that was circulating, creating this worldwide pandemic and killing millions of people, as we're told. And we found this out after a review of all of our processes, was it should have been suppressed. The distinction being that if it's withdrawn, it is kept archivally uh, on, on a tape drive. So they did delete it because they're not going to tape backups to recover this. They were just hoping that nobody would ever try and dig it out on the tape because that's the hardest place to get it. Old technology, but that's how it's done. But when it is withdrawn, it can still be accessed by accession number. And so researchers are able to access So the information, information is still there. That's correct. Mm. That's well, helpful. Information was never lost. Um, I wanted tape. to switch gears it's really quickly. Tape. I mean, I Not could accessible. spend a lot of time on that one. But. Of course, there's another piece to this story because... I played all of that so you could hear them talk about that Chinese researcher that asked for the sequences to be pulled. But the truth is, eight packages of early SARS-CoV-2 sequences were deleted from NCBI. One was requested by the submitter in China and seven from submitters mostly in the U.S., Are we going to question at some point also the deletions asked by the U.S.? Are we ever going to see these sequences? And here's the email. Uh, Let me blow this up here. This is from the NIH going to Carl Zimmer. Query from New York Times journalist about the preprint on sequences deleted from SRA. He says also, this is the NIH representative saying this, also Clarify, NLM conducted an analysis that found that eight SARS-CoV-2 submission packages were withdrawn upon request of the submitter since the beginning of the pandemic. This included one requested by the submitter from China and the, the rest seven uh, from submitters predominantly in the U.S. Who else were they? I bet I could guess one or two of them for sure. I bet I could guess. Okay, let's go back here. So there have been a lot of like interesting things happening here with um, vaccine injuries and so forth. (coughs) This was one of them, but turns out to be not related to a vaccine injury. This was a, a... flight controller guy that was the pilot at the stick flying this aircraft and and he had two passengers on board it crashed into this bridge in miami on approach and ran into a minivan and the people in the minivan were okay they got out the two passengers got out the pilot ended up dying but what happened is the engine lost power and it started descent and he probably should have tried to go under the water and put it in the in the in the ocean there but didn't for whatever reason and it cost him his life so it's easy to jump to conclusions on this there's another famous uh i think australian like rock and roll stars i I don't know who he is but he just drove off the road at 11 p.m at night on his way home and the car rolled and he was uh, pronounced dead on the scene and then there's conflicting reports of someone finding that he had no pulse when they got there I think it's very likely that he's vaccine injured, um, might have had some kind of heart attacks, tunnel vision, who knows what. 
drove the car off the road. It was a straight section of road and he just goes off like that. Maybe he fell asleep. You know, maybe it's, it's something else or he was drinking. Who knows? But I suspect that that one is actually one of these incidents. So, okay. What else? Uh, you know, let's go. Yeah, let's keep going here and then we'll come back to Jinkies or Jicky's um, site 4444 from the Pfizer data. Okay, we've had four more children die of this acute hepatitis in Indonesia. All right, and they are, of course... Research has revealed babies who are prone to the common cold may be more likely to develop heart problems later in life. We're joined live now by lead researcher from the Murdoch Children's Institute. They're coming up with, you know, whatever excuse they can. If you've had a cold, that will cause heart attacks. Not the vaccines, though, which started all and correlate that correlate with all the all cause mortality. Dr. Toby Mansell. Toby, thank you very much for your time. The research is in its early stages. What are some of the findings so far? So to first explain why we were studying this, uh, cardiovascular... I I really don't even care. Okay, here's another one. Viral load, dogs or paracetamol could be the cause of mysterious hepatitis outbreak in kids, experts warn. Notice it's not data says, it's expert says, which means we didn't have the data. So we found this guy who will say what we want. Dogs, not the vaccine, which has this mechanism and pathology established that absolutely makes sense what's happening because of the adenovirus and its recombination with the spike protein from the vax. They're getting exposed through it, to it through you know, breastfeeding through close contact, all kinds of things. And it's making a lot of kids sick. And these people are just being gaslit by their doctors. Here's someone saying, I can't wear a mask. I'm so I've worn a Z shield since 2020. Have been able to wear it everywhere except my kidney specialist. He says I have to wear a mask or get vaccinated to see him in person. I have stage four renal failure. I haven't seen my doctor in person in over a year. So I found a new kidney specialist and setting up an appointment. And they asked why I'm leaving my other kidney specialist of over 20 years. They proceed to tell me they won't see me in person with the shield unless I wear a mask, despite CDC dropping the mask requirements. My parathyroid is over 160 now and can't see any of my kidney doctors. They are literally just going to let this man die. Here's one from Brazil. You know, Gates being such a good guy and all. Uh, I was just a few, in just a few months, over 3,000 babies were born with microcephalial, without any scientific evidence, the government, probably the health organization, Assume that the disease was caused by the Zerka virus. Well, an Australian researcher has now revealed that the true cause of the disease was toxicity of the mandatory DTaP vaccine given to pregnant women the year before. The vaccines were funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. But he's such a good guy, right? He's given all his money away. Of course, Jacinda Arden, now she's tested positive for coronavirus. She's 
working from home. She's going to be great. Yeah, it'll be fine. Of course, having watched Gert, we know what's coming. We know what happened, what's going to happen to a lot of these folks. Here's another one, the chief health officer in Victoria. He's saying, I'm down with COVID, feeling pretty rubbish, to be honest. Razor blade throat and painful cough. Clearly not the same for everyone. Can't imagine how it might have been for me without three doses of the vax. Good on science. (laughs) People are absolutely clueless. Chief health officer. No idea what's happening. No idea what he's done. And here's Lynn, uh, Dr. Fenn coming in, giving him a little dose of reality. You likely would would, uh, not have known you had it. That's precisely what I'm seeing. She sees patients every day. Unjabbed, mild symptoms or asymptomatic, opposite and proportional to doses, increased severity. So what she's saying there, people who are not jabbed, they're fine. Very mild cases. The people who are, how bad it is for them depends on how many of the shots that they've had. Right. And now we know why, because of the priming that Gert was describing earlier. That's what's happening to these people. They're, they've been set up to basically be infected. Right. Michelle Atchison. Now she is the president. She's a psychologist or a therapist, I think psychiatrist and a, um, the president of the South African AMA American uh, Air, Australian Medical Association, I guess it would be. Um, and she's was on a podcast recently and revealed this. The light of our life, the, the light in our life has gone out. My beautiful and only daughter died yesterday. She never woke up. It was so utterly unexpected. And my husband and my hearts are shattered. I don't really know what to do. And that's her daughter. This is uh, a friend that of hers that gave her a little tribute. She worked for a personal security company that did high profile, like VIP clients and so forth, providing personal security. So very likely vaccinated, very likely that her mom talked her into it. And so I wrote her, she's probably not going to like what I said, (laughs) but I tweeted and I said, let me tell you what you can do. You can grieve a little bit and get over this. And then you can recognize the fact that you push something on your child and the people that you claim to be protecting. And it cost you your daughter. You gave something to your daughter that killed her and you've pushed this pain and misery and suffering on thousands of other families. So what you do is you stand up and tell the truth, Michelle. You are the president of the medical association. You could stand up and start saying, we've got to stop. We've got to change course immediately. We've got to start prescribing ivermectin. Go watch Gert's video. Understand it because you clearly don't. You sacrificed your daughter to ignorance. And this is going to continue and continue until someone like you has the courage to stand up and say enough. What do you want your legacy to be? Because it's decision time. Here's another one's campaign 
guy that's uh, lieutenant governor somewhere. He's sick. He had a heart attack two days before the primary. It's an important one for him to win, to Democrat. He's triple vaccinated. Got rushed to the hospital, had AFib for too long, created a blood clot. Don't worry, though, the doctors were able to get it out. So he's good. Of course, he's not good because he's got the fibrin building up in his body and it's going to happen again. And then he's going to be facing this new variant that comes out. It's going to make him really sick. These people have no idea what they've done. No idea. Um, This is Noah. He's vaccine injured. And uh, he's replying here to a Pfizer post. Oh, wait. Nope. That is not it. Shoot. Hold on. Ah, crap. (laughs) Okay. So Bill Gates... He's given away all of his money, right? Yeah, well, no. It looks like he's done quite well the last few years. Managed to grow it from $40 billion back up to 100 Of course, it peaked in the dot-com bubble at $100 billion. Dropped to 40 and he's managed to, to grow it back to $100 billion. And he's using this money to fund the WHO to dictate the policy to do this takeover, Right? Oh, and by the way, about that WHO thing, I've just been getting flooded with comments from people sending me stuff about, uh, here's one Lacey May sent. The WHO plans to strip 194 nations and the U.S. of sovereignty May 22nd. Right there. And they're just like, please link this up. It's serious. Well, yes, I agree. Which is why we had James Rogowski on two weeks ago to talk about this before the mainstream media, even the alternative mainstream media knew about it yet. So I did talk about it two weeks ago and helped get it to mass awareness. That's what we do here. Okay. Uh, Let me go back to here and let's talk about Jinkies. Uh, thing here well actually you know one of the things that i predicted this is going to be a little bit uh graphic it's a picture of someone's leg that's got necrosis they're about to cut it off i said these blood clots the white strings are going to start causing a lot of leg amputations and well that's exactly what this is there's one of the people you can see her foot is just turned purple and red and turning black at the extremities and up around the clot and they're about to cut her leg off above the knee or below the knee. And like, what What then? What next? Because it's not like the blood clot, the, the fibrin that's creating these clots is going away. It's still circulating in other places. It's still building. And of course, here's another one around the same time. This is... Uh, Nurse Sarah saying, just treated a patient for necrosis of the foot and toes due to multiple blood clots. She's scheduled for an amputation in the AM after a surgical consult. 22-year-old female, 11 days post-second vax, entering into VAERS shortly. So another girl about to lose a foot. And, you know, these stories just, they never end. There's so, so many of them. Okay, let me see if I can find right here. So, Jicky Jicky Leaks here, he's saying, holy crap, two sites stand out from the Pfizer documents. 
randomization log as major anomalies, site 1231 and site 4444. You're not going to believe this. And he says, what an interesting name, site 4444. Uh, the biggest recruiter by far is site 1231-1231 in Argentina. Well, of course, for a joint German-American drug, where else? Of course, this is where Hitler went after he supposedly committed suicide in the bunker, which was not him. And he escaped to Argentina and lived out his life because that was a uh, German Nazi stronghold and they took over some industry down there and so forth. And it was a friendly regime to them. There's a great uh, Finding Hitler, awesome documentary if you haven't seen it and don't if all that, you're like, what the hell is Sam talking about now? Yeah, go watch that. You'll, you'll learn. Um, Site 1231 recruited 4,501 patients. That is 10% of the patients at one site of the, you know, 10% of the whole trial at one site. All 4,501 patients were recruited in three weeks. Amazing. There's the graph of it. You can see this steep run up in this very short period of time from zero to 4,501. This is site 1231 from the I Can Decide log. That's, uh, the high wire Dell big trees charity and so forth that funds a lot of these open record requests and, and the high wire and all that recognize the name. We'll come back to him in a second. This is Fernando Pollock that he's referencing here as the, um, uh, what is he listed here as the comprehensive list of all clinical sites. So he's, I guess the investigator name. He's the, he's the lead investigator for the site. The site is supposed to be uh, the military central hospital. That's interesting. It's also an interesting logo. Seems to have given David Martin ideas for his website logo, but probably just a coincidence. I don't know. <laughs> Jicky loves conspiracies almost as much as me. Uh, anyways, it seems a bit odd that the principal investigator who has to be a medical doctor of a major international study is recruiting 4,500 patients in three weeks at one site without a CRO. Now, this is what Ventavia was. We talked to Brooke Jackson, clinical research organization. They are basically a private company that you pay like, you know, 10,000, 20,000, sometimes more per participant to run the trial on your behalf, right? So you pay the CRO per patient. They go out, sign up a bunch of people, run the trial. They're supposed to follow all your procedures, but they don't. Uh, but he didn't have that. He was doing all this by himself, right? Not like there's a lot of paperwork to this. I mean, 250 pages per, per patient. <laughs> and working seven days a week, no gaps during that two-week period. Recruiting every day, including Saturday and Sunday. Weekend recruitment for clinical trial would be odd. Staff are needed to fill out that many for record forms, CRFs. Uh, and there are potential risks to the trial. So you need medical staff. It would be highly unusual. So who is he? Here's his trial uh, CV and he's worked for the FDA. He's worked with, hang on, wait, this is Fernando Pollock, the Fernando Pollock who claims to be at Vanderbilt at the same time, who also happens to make appearances for the FDA. So here he's got, he's saying he's recruiting all these people down in Venezuela or Argentina when the reality is he's somewhere else in the world are recruiting record numbers of patients, repeat after me, this guy is not a fixer for the pharmaceutical cartels. <laughs> nope, 
definitely not. Employed by Fundicon Infant in uh, Buenos Aires, Dr. Pollock has acknowledged having financial interests in or professional relationships with some of the affected firms identified for this meeting, namely Jensen, Novavax, and Barvarian Nordic. Who also happens to work for the Infant Foundation and also happens to be funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and the NIH. He is literally the busiest doctor on the planet. He's not a go-between, uh, but managed to find enough time to be the lead author on the Pfizer paper with all of the Pfizer scientists as well. So he's, he's here in the, you know, in the safety and efficacy study as well. And this guy is amazing. It's like he doesn't sleep. Yet while doing all this, he managed to find time to presumably single-handedly, because no other authors are listed at that site, recruit 4,500 patients in three weeks with each patient requiring 250 pages of case report forms, CRFs. That's 1.125 million pages of CRFs in three weeks. But I'm sure that's totally above board until we get to the next totally above board feature of the fastest 44,000 patient study ever in history. What is site 4444? There were 270 clinical recruitment sites for the Pfizer vaccine study numbered consecutively from 1001 to 1270. They're all listed here, and there's a document where you can go look up the source if you want. That's the last page. There is no site uh, 1271. It's 1270 is the last one. There is no other site with a number above 1270, so site 4444 doesn't exist in the clinical trial paperwork. The one that recruited 10% of the patients for the trial. How exactly did that work, right? Well, that's a bit of a problem because there are a lot of entries in the randomization log for sites 4444, 1,275 patients to be exact, about 3% of the total. And what do you want? All 1,275 patients were recruited in one week from the 22nd to the 27th. September uh, 2020. So there's the other one. Boom, you got this big bump right there. Kind of the same way. And what's magical about the week of the 22nd of September 2020? Well, just happens to be the last week that recruitment can take place for the data cutoff for the FDA meeting in December. There's just one problem though. Well, two really. One, the site doesn't exist. It's totally and utterly fabricated. There was no principal investigator for site 4444 because it doesn't exist. So what happened at site 4444? My guess, they needed enough numbers of positive PCR tests in the placebo group to show a difference between groups for that uh, verb pack meeting. The, that's the vaccine advisory board, basically, meeting on the 10th of December, and they didn't have them. So site 4444 appeared and gave them their perfect result. Bravo, job done. Now they can show an efficacy and get this thing approved. And he's got the source documentation. They fabricated the data. Like even with all the data cleaning, with all the stuff that Brooke Jackson told us about, they still had to fabricate data and invent a site. And then I think what he also told me was that they moved all the signups from 444 to 1231 because it didn't exist. I mean, this, this thing is just rife with absolute fraud. Let me see what this is right here. No. 
Okay. Uh, this is one of the articles, the mind gut connection, how your gut microbiome controls your behavior. Tell you what, I'm going to save this for another time, but this is something if you want to read, uh, that one of the, the immunologists kind of pointed to and said, you know, you've got to, it's, it's the mind gut connection is so important. It's underlooked. And they were actually on a, one of these vaccinologist podcasts that like only they listen to kind of thing. Um, talking about how these bioweapons have been deployed, things like coronavirus, but other viruses have been deployed in ticks to be used as uh, distribution models because they stay around for a long time. They bite people over time. And like Lyme disease, they think, is a bioweapon that was unleashed or that escaped accidentally or who knows what, right? So... And then there's another study. I'll, I'll get these posted out and we'll probably talk about it later. Okay. Same thing. We'll just skip that. There's the all-cause mortality. Okay. Another interesting aspect to this that I want to mention to you. This is from True News. He does a um, live stream like I do. He's uh, Christian-focused. Jesus is going to return and all that. Okay, but it, it's some great information here. Saying Russia, top Democrats involved in U.S.-funded bio-warfare bio research in Ukraine. This is a great episode. I watched most of it earlier today. And kind of what they're talking about is like what's been happening over there. It turns out that they've moved these human experiments, pharmaceutical testing on human experiments or human subjects, non-consensual and they were doing this in Ukraine. And uh, there was this general that was captured. It was not a Russian, uh, not a Ukrainian general, but I think one from France or something. And his jet literally left without him. Why? Because the hard drives and the evidence that was on the jet was more important than the general. They had to get that out of there. They can negotiate for the general later. But if those documents got seized, their gooses were cooked. So there's more evidence coming out here that Ukraine is such a strategic piece to everything that's happening. It's where the deep state does all its money laundering. It's where they, uh, you know, are doing all of this bioweapons research and apparently human experiments, all kinds of nasty things, right? So that was, that's one I would recommend you guys take a look at if you like. Let me see what else is here. Okay. Bear with me for one second here. All right, let's go back to this right here. I want to go actually here. So this is Sri Lanka, and there were protests happening, kind of like what was going on at Canberra and uh, some of these other places around the world, the trucker protest in Ottawa. Um, and th those protests were ongoing. And what happened? The government, the uh, president, whatever he is over there, organized to bus in counter protesters from another region. And they went to his residence, his private residence, met with him, and then leaving there, they go and 
absolutely attack everyone. All of these protesters that were there and start beating them with sticks and trashing their tents and running them off. And you can see that's what's happening here. And some people came out. Let me see what this one is. That's more of the protests. You have this guy right here who's one of the um, opposition leaders, I think, that was pushing all of these lockdowns and so forth on these people because what's happening is they're starving. They don't have food. They can't pay bills. Every, you know, everything's going out of control, and this is sort of the end of the dollar. Right. It's going to happen in all these little countries around the world. Well, Sri Lanka is the next one. Right. And this guy brought in these people on these buses and they went in and beat all the protesters, destroyed all their tents, attacked them. And they came in with these bulldozers <laughs> and crushed all of the buses that these people came in on. And you can see the military there is like, hey, Pal, you should really stop. No, yeah, please don't. Please stop. Please stop as they sit there and watch him lift this bus up, drop it down, blow out the tires, and this thing is going nowhere. Boom, dumps the bus, and it's done. Of course, these buses ended up in the water along with several of these politicians' cars. <laughs> there they are running the other ones in the water. And then uh, this is the house of one of the politicians. So how long have I told you about the WebBot reports talking about these elites, these globalists being burned, you know, horrible things being done to them, burned alive in their homes, families killed, raped, who knows what. It's starting to happen. And this is that guy. You could, I think this, is, this was his house or this might be someone else. I'm not sure. But this is another one of them that kind of foisted this on the people, brought these people in from elsewhere, and he's stripped of his clothes. He's got his pants down around his ankles. He's naked. And they are. there's video. They're screaming at him and yelling at him and telling him to get out. These people, these are some of the protesters that came in on those buses. And they ran them into this filthy river. And they're telling them, no, swim your ass back. <laughs> You're not getting out of the water. You better start swimming. And there's some more of them. So the locals were absolutely furious. And what had happened, and it just, and because, you know, they're starving, they don't have food, they can't pay their bills, and it just sparked a revolution, and this is going to happen over and over and over and over again, because what we're going through right now, right here, dot-com bubble was 4.6 trillion lost, 
the global financial crisis, the housing collapse, or the you know the, basically the fraud that the mortgage companies and banks were engaged in, two point three trillion. The COVID nineteen sell off from their the government's forced lockdowns cost four point four trillion, and the current decline is seven point six trillion. This is on a scale like nothing else, because it is the end of the empire. And here's yet another example of the smaller countries. The weaker countries die, dependent on dollars, dependent on sound money, which, you know, the dollar's not sound money, but it's the best that's out there because it's the global reserve currency and it has such liquidity and demand. The FARDA briefing, first signs of civil unrest as bread prices soar in Iran. Iran raises prices of food staples, stirring panic and anger. They've abruptly raised food prices as much as 300% for a variety of staples like oil, chicken, milk, and eggs. Uh, Okay, that's something else. Let me, a few things are out of order here. So is this, damn it. (laughs) So we've had, very interesting to me, we had Nancy go out and pick up her suitcase full of cash and took off. And then we had Jill go out and pick up her suitcase full of cash and head back. And now the Republicans are coming out, picking up their suitcases full of cash and head, you know, in the war zone right out here in the open with media standing around and so forth because it's a war, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, don't forget y'all we're in a pandemic and this is a war. Okay, let me go back. Yeah, well, so this one should have been up higher. This is, uh, it added, uh, Cadu was apparently not on a mission for his government, but was in charge of a bio laboratory, bio lab number one with 18 staff. So I think this is the, the general that was, that was grabbed in Ukraine. Uh, with 18 staff working under his command, Biolab Number One reportedly managed his U.S. company uh, Metabiota, the company Hunter Biden, son and of U.S. President Joe Biden, and Christopher Heinz, John Kerry's son-in-law. See, they're all the kids of these the, these big criminals in Congress have ties, and of course, the fact checkers will tell you no, there's no tie with John Kerry and any of his kids. Here it is. Yes, there is. They're lying had organized subcontracting arrangements for Ukrainian research laboratories through their firm, Rosemont Capital. And that's one of, that's how they debunk it. They say John Kerry's got three kids or these are his kids. And this one's a doctor and this one works for Rosemont Capital and this one works for this and no ties to Ukraine. On behalf of the Pentagon's defense threat reduction agency. So DARPA. So again, They're calling it defensive research to prevent the next pandemic. But what they're actually doing is building bioweapons and then trying to come up with ways to counter them. And milking all of us dry in the process. Uh, I just want to comment real quick on what's happening with Elon Musk and Twitter. It's, it's very interesting to me. Um, So he's engaged in this deal. He's got a billion dollars that he's handed over to them that if the deal falls through for, you know, his reason, they get to keep that basically. And uh, he's put out a couple tweets 
the latest news that came out was, well, the deal's on hold until we can validate the bots, right? And what happened? Stock price of Twitter plummets. <laughs> and there's a video you can actually go here. Let's do that real quick. Let me go back to here and you can go to Twitter. So right here is the Twitter account on Twitter, 61.8 million followers. So you can do that. It'll put the ones that are, that you know or already interact with up first. So I want to actually scroll down a little bit. And what Elon said is take a sample of a hundred people and see how many of them are actually bots, right? So we're just going to, we're going here, we're going, we're going, and we'll stop here. 14 followers. Okay, that one's probably real. Zero followers. Zero followers. Zero followers. Of course, if we look at this person's... Oh, look. They've never even liked anything. Right here. Zero followers. Z 10 followers. That one might be real. Zero followers. That one's got a lovely picture. 72 followers. So there's a real one. Zero followers. 21. So, you know, you, you get an idea. The majority of these are fake. They're selling ads, people, and using subscriber counts to sell those. Facebook was doing the same thing. So what Musk is doing, people are like, oh, he's trying to get out of the deal and have tax-free money and this and that. It only cost him a billion. So he ends up saving money and he has no intention of buying Twitter. And I think they're wrong. I think they're wrong. I think he's actually trying to buy it, but he's very smart because now if they cancel, you know, this comes out. And of course he said, sample a hundred um, followers and see what happens. See for yourself. And he also said, by the way, to uh, go up here to this little star thing and say, uh, there's one that will let you see latest tweets instead. And he says that turns off the algos. So if you use Twitter, make sure you do that to turn off the algo and get more organic results. And he, he said the lawyers from Twitter contacted him about the NDA and the sample size being a hundred million. Well, I mean, think about it. It's, it's a sample size of a hundred accounts for 61.8 million followers. Does that seem like a relevant sample size to you? Of course it's not. So what that did is exposed Twitter as they're up to all kinds of shenanigans because they have so much to hide. He's going to massively deflate their stock price and then come in with an even lower offer <laughs> once the truth comes out. And at the same time, if they try and cancel the deal, the investors are going to know, oh man, they are so fucked. There's no way. So they're going to jump ship and that will even further tank the stock price. So he's basically got them over a barrel and now he's making them his whipping boy. And getting a bargain in the process, I think, is what's happening. So, there you go. Okay, 
remember if there's anything else uh, that, but Tether, uh, oh yeah, no, we'll come back to that. So now back to Trump, who's Musk is going to, says he's going to open up to Trump. His account will be unlocked if he wants. Trump's not going to do that, I don't think, because he's dumped all of his money into Truth Social, counting on the censorship of Twitter remaining in place. So this whole Elon Musk thing is a death nail for <laughs> for Truth Social because everybody's on Twitter already. If Elon actually fixes it, a lot less, this is going to become an, a Trump echo chamber, just like Getter is very much the same thing, right? So very interesting things happening. Of course, Trump's also endorsed this Dr. Oz, who's a total moron. <laughs> it's the best way I can describe it, I think. Yeah, I don't know, folks. I don't know what, what, how y'all don't see some of these things. So, okay, let's talk about Tether real quick and what's happening in the markets here. Um, it lost its peg the other day. And it's not, you know, this is not huge. This was down to, uh, sorry, it lost its peg. But what's happening right now, this is the market cap of tether and you can see a week ago it was i uh, don't know what that is 783 billion i think and now it's 76 billion so like six something billion has been withdrawn from tether and they only have so much in reserves on on hand on cash and at the same time that this is going on all of the exchanges are having technical problems or you can't do withdrawals of your crypto or of your tether back to your bank account because so much is getting redeemed right now that I think it's putting stress on what's happening with tether and that that is going to implode at some point here real soon in a very spectacular fashion like we saw with Luna when the truth comes out. Okay. And of course, speaking of Luna, here he is. This is Doquan. This is the guy who was in charge of the whole project. Beware of protocols with cyclical economic pressures. If they reward richly during up cycles when lots of people buy in, they will also likely punish quickly during down cycles when most are looking to exit. And he says, you have to get burned by a textbook Ponzi scheme. If you get burned by a textbook Ponzi scheme, you have no one but yourself to blame. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <coughs> Let me see if I can find the article here that I wanted to go through. This is it. Um, so breaking news, Tether has refused to disclose details of its $40 billion hoard of government bonds for fear of revealing its secret sauce, right? That's why they can't tell us. That's why they've never audited, even though they said they were going to do an audit and give us complete results. And then they never did that. And then they fired their auditors and then they had a certification, which is not an audit. And that's what they've been pushing ever since to tell people, oh, yeah, no, your money is totally safe with us. And Bitfinex here, he's the whistleblower. He did some time in jail for manipulating Bitcoin with Tether. And uh, he he turned and uh, has helped the government go after these guys. One difference between UST Ponzi and US Terra, which is the stable coin that goes with Luna, um, 
and the Tether Ponzi, I doubt that the UST white paper outright told investors that they could steal all your money. Tether literally tells you that they could steal all your money. Remember, Tether executives are under Department of Justice criminal investigations right now. <coughs> Here's their implementation weaknesses in one of the Tether documents. And they're saying, uh, you know, here's the weakness of our approach. We could go bankrupt. Our bank could go insolvent, which our bank could freeze or consolidate funds, which has happened. The government's frozen the, the assets from by the bank or in the bank. We could abscond with the reserve funds. I mean, they're sitting there telling you, well, we could just run off with your money. That's the risk. <laughs> of course, uh, they're here letting us know. Tether continues to honor all redemptions while the vaults being emptied from verified customers during market volatility on track to process 2 billion today. Well, they did a little bit more than that, didn't they? And of course, verified customers is the key word. Who are they? How many are verified customers? Are you a verified customers? Meaning can you redeem with Tether and get cash back? Or is it only these verified customers? And Bitfinex replied and said, uh, no, it's, it's 10, 10 guys or 10 people are verified customers of Tether that can actually redeem. And they have to do that because they don't have the reserves. They've had uh, hundreds of millions of dollars seized. They told the CFTC they don't have everything in reserve. They've got Chinese paper, Evergrande, that's crashing and worthless. So a lot of these investments that they've put to profit from by holding you know, safe assets are gone. Tether's not backed. And this is what will trigger its collapse. And I think, you know, if we get another leg down in the marketplace, that could absolutely shake Tether loose as well. Tether's a big investor in the Celsius Ponzi scam. Um, and the, oh yeah, I remember this one. So this was showing, I forget what it was. There's a piece in yeah right there celsius has is 36 percent of uh no no what was it hold on let me find this pretty sure no one has done this back up to here i forget what he was saying uh there is no proof this is all inductive reasoning stitching together uh, first off, let's discard the Chinese paper thing, but let's assume they do hold an awful lot of corporate paper, at least something they think would that word means, even if the industry at large would maybe not agree with agree on terms. We'll get back to that. How has this paper originated? Well, first of all, it's only with two with trusted partners, that those 10 people, inner circle people who are key to the ecosystem, exchanges mostly, and this is the the problem with Tether. It's going to bring down exchanges in the process. So I've actually exited the market. I told my patrons this a while back uh, and I'm sitting in cash and it's cash that's uh, easily accessible to buy back in for crypto because I think we're going to see another leg down and I think Tether might be part of it. Tether collapsing or losing its peg might be part of that scenario, right? And so using a tether-based exchange might be very problematic if it loses its peg. And who knows what happens to US dollar circle and some of the others because of the extreme volatility. Maybe they'll be fine, maybe they won't. We don't know, we'll find out, right? 
Uh, so Tether hands them a billion of U.S. dollar Tether. They hand Tether paper saying they owe Tether one billion of either U.S. dollar or U.S.T. Uh, plus some interest on redemption fee at the time. Tether counts this paper as part of their reserves, and that would explain a lot, meaning they've got basically an IOU. For example, it would explain why only certain parties can redeem Tether, because unless you have debt with them, the paper you gave them, they can't clear the debt. So there's no redemption mechanism for any non-trusted partner, right? This also explains why Tether insists they have corporate paper but doesn't want to disclose it, from their childlike perspective, this is a fine form of corporate debt, and they're telling the truth in technically in a, in a technicality or something. And it gives us a plausible business model for Tether 2. The fees they collect, presumably in USDT, can be sold on the exchanges for actual money, which uh, less what they keep is how they get their microscopic reserve of actual cash, which has been drawn down to the tune of like $7 billion in the last week. Now, I have walked this out with a number of people who can't see anything wrong here, and I'm not dunking on them. It's subtle for anyone who isn't familiar with the mechanics of finance, but what if this is happening? Uh, that would be bad. And they're just pointing out they don't have the reserves. And they're getting a run on cash, and they don't have the cash because it's in all these IOUs that they can't redeem. So what happens? Well, you end up with exchanges that would either have to pony up with the money themselves or shut down withdrawals and what happened across all of these tether exchanges last week during the volatility. They shut down withdrawals. They had technical problems. They had upgrades. They make up whatever excuse they need. That I think is what's happening, right? Uh, so tether was an investor in Celsius is what it come is what this is showing right here. Uh, where is it? There's, there it is. Tether International Limited, 2,581 units, 7% uh, of Celsius that they own. So that's probably one of their uh, assets, right? That's backing Tether is Celsius, which is also very problematic. Okay. Assuming this redemption would push the total redeemed in the last 48 hours to around $5 billion. It's higher than that now. More than the total cash on hand that Tether uh, reported in December 2021. Guess we'll find out how cash-like their cash-like assets are soon. And this is a whale alert where somebody was just pulling out $1.7 billion transferred from Bitfinex to the Tether Treasury. That's a redemption going in. So... This thing is very volatile. It's very fragile and um, it could blow up and create serious, serious problems uh, quicker than I think most people would, would think, would recognize, right? So position yourself and be ready because I think we could see another leg down here. And so I, I took my mom, not completely out, but a, a decent chunk out so that she can sit back if this crash happens, buy back in, and uh, it's better than just watching it go down like we did last week. Of course, could run up, could be completely wrong. So I don't know. I'm not telling you what to do. Make your own decisions. So, okay, there we go. I was going to go through the, uh, the whole implosion with Luna. I'll save that for another time. I want to wrap up here. Unless you guys have questions, if you're on spaces and you want to jump in and ask something about Anything we've covered tonight, 
Go ahead and do that. If you have comments, use asterisks. I'll try and jump back and forth between DLive and, uh, and this one right here. I don't know what this says, though. Dr. Malone talks about the global takeover. Yeah, so exactly. We covered that two weeks ago, guys. We're, we're way ahead of those guys. They'll be talking about the things that we talked about tonight in two or three weeks. Okay? That's the kind of show this is. Okay, let's see here. Nope, y'all are quiet on spaces. That's it. All right. Well, there we go. If nobody's got anything they want to add, we better get it in quick. When you pull your money off, where would you suggest putting it when the time is right to hop back in? I don't, I'm not going into detail about what I'm doing, but it, you need to be able to convert it as fast as possible, depending on your setup, where, where you're, who you're using and so forth. If it's a tether exchange, you might get screwed because that's going to break the exchange. So I don't know. There's no easy answer here, but I think in this first phase of this collapse, that's kind of unfolding here is, um, I think cash is going to be king first and then it will become worthless and then silver cryptos will skyrocket to the moon. But I think we could see all of those things collapse first and lose value temporarily before taking off. So, all right, guys. Oh, no, we do have one person that wants to jump in. Let's see. Crypto Aussie. Come on in, sir. What's on your mind? Cryptic Aussie, sorry. Can you hear me? You're muted if you're talking. Mm. No, I'm not hearing you. Okay. Well, I am going to wrap us up there then. And we will catch y'all next broadcast. Um, hey, Sam, you there? Yeah, yeah, we got you. What's up? Sorry, sorry, man. I'm, I'm out digging holes, getting my uh, prepping ready for my uh, my uh, giant uh, greenhouse. Oh, lovely! But, uh, but you know, oversize is what I suppose do best. So, um, you know, it's definitely a supersized greenhouse. Uh, in preparation for, I hear I hear a little birdie telling me that uh, they're, they're going to ban or try to ban. They'll do it through regulations, of course. They won't come out. So we're going to ban you from from doing uh, growing vegetables, but they'll do it in such a way that uh, you need a permit, you need to only grow these vegetables, you can only grow these quantities. So we'll see yep. if that comes through or not. But, but uh, better to be prepared than uh, they're not prepared, of course. But I'm um, very interested in what you're talking about tonight. Like I'm like you, I, I like a good conspiracy theory, theory but I'm also well, you know, skeptical of, of most of them. And it's kind of in our human nature to, when we can't find an answer to, um, to look for an answer, and some of those answers can be crazy, of course. But, but some of the things you were talking about, like, for example, isn't it just so convenient that uh, children that get vaccinated who who um, who love their sugar, don't they? It's very hard. I've got three kids, and oh, boy, do they, uh, is it a battle to try and get them to ease off the, the sugar sweets in that? Yet that's something that's, that's 
it's affecting kids, of course, like you were just saying in tonight's show. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying that that was part of the plan. And then you look at the baby formula, okay? You know, you've got old um, Grim Reaper Gates coming up with, look, we can make it, we can make this formula, and of course it'll be better. It won't be, but they'll, they'll tout that it's better than the real thing when it won't be, but just so that they can, like, it seems like, you know, trying to eradicate children in the, um, most efficient on multi fronts. And that's kind of what you do in, in a military operation. You look, you look at multiple fronts to, to aim at because if one fails or you've got you know, two or three others that, that might succeed in it. And it looks like the globalists or whoever you want to call them, uh, are looking at multiple fronts to do this with, um, it appears children is their is their aim because of course the oldies they're, they're happy for them to go no more pensions to pay and, and whatever else mm-hmm. but but sterilising children either either through uh, through normal vaccines or sterilising them permanently through death seems like a seems like a path that they're going that they're going uh, through and I don't know if you think that's too far off the ranch there I, I struggle with it. I think come on now like you know is that yeah. something that they would really to do well like on the baby formula thing on the other side of that coin I, i'm also kind of wondering like if there's this white hat thing that the whole q crowd wants to um buy into could they be doing this triggering the the um recalls or the shutdown of the of the production plants and so forth in order to make mothers aware that now you should be breastfeeding. It's natural. You don't need this formula stuff. I mean, there are some women who can't and uh, so forth, mm. but maybe it's like a push to wake them up to this aspect as well. Um, but certainly there, this thing is a bioweapon that's been deployed on humanity. I think one of the very clear goals is population reduction. And, um, you know, if you wanted to remake a society you would have to, and like totally change course or something, you would have to kill off down to like a certain age so that, you know, if the parents are gone, then you have a bunch of kids in the foster system and you can program them to believe and think whatever you want, right? So like, Mm, I I wonder if there's some aspect like that going on. Yeah, well, I I take it they would uh, not let any opportunity uh, pass up you know, whether it be, again, you know, eradication of children, at a, like you said, from a certain age down or a certain age up, and then what you're left with, they're either sterile and can't produce, and then they can choose the ones that will produce, and as you said, then they'll just, uh, they'll program to be little robots and, and say yes, sir, and no, sir. Right. Um, so, so, so not too crazy, not too far, and that's, that's the problem when you look at uh, these conspiracy theories, when it comes to the point you think, well, man, I'm... I mean, big time crazy town here. Well, it might be crazy town for, for you or me or, or other people, but I think there's no limits that they would go to whoever they may be to get to their eventual uh, end point, to whatever agenda they're trying to achieve. Yeah. It just seems like, I mean, you know, anyone who's 40 or 50, 60 even, if you look back 40 years ago or even 20 years ago or even 10 years ago, I don't remember times being, apart from the GFC, um, I don't remember a time as many conflicts happened with so many different things coming together to cause such crappiness in the world. Yes. 
yeah, there, there, there's all these things, just the wheels are coming off the cart is kind of how I describe it. They've kicked the can as many times as they can down the road. And at some point they're running out of road and everything's just oh, falling apart. And it's just the whole Elon Musk thing. There's just so many things going on. It's like, this can't just all be happening by chance. There's clearly some agendas at play. Yep. Hundred percent. Another interesting thing, just on uh, shortages. I rang, you know, you know, back into the building game now since leaving the military, and we have a store here called Bunnings, which is just like your your Home Depot over there. Okay. And their service. I think I remember. I remember. I remember talking to you a couple of shows back how their service has just been crap, just terrible, terrible. It's a good place for old timers, like old plumbers, old carpenters, old electricians. They go and they, you know, they they. They give their, you know, they get paid obviously to work there, um, but it's a good retirement place for them. Right. And they, I was speaking to them just last week, telling them, look, your service is so shit now. Like, what is going on? And I spoke to one of the managers. He said, look, Steve, I've been here for 15 years now, and normally we would have, on average, about 10 openings a week. Yeah. And in those, that 10 openings a week, we would have between 400 and 500 applications come through. Like it, it, he said, it's just madness. He said, at the moment, I've got between 40 and 50 openings. Wow. And I'm lucky if I get 10, 10 people a week turning up for the jobs. Wow. Like, where are these people? Yeah, Where'd like I go? didn't believe him at first. He said, look, he said, you can look at my books. He said, we don't have, and, and I have noticed that the amount of young people they employ now is, it's, you know, I've been dealing with them for, you know, 25 odd years now. And mm-hmm. you normally see the old timers, people with experience, you know, they're getting off the tools and they're, they're you know, going for an easy paying job yeah. and semi-retired. And now you see these kids that don't know the art end from a hammer to a power saw. Yeah. And you're dealing with them. Yeah. And, and the oldies are gone. They're just, you might get out of a whole store that employs 50 odd uh, people, you might get half a dozen or maybe 10 at the most where mm-hmm. it would normally be populated with the, uh, the gray heads community right so just an interesting thing you know like gert talks about the hospitals collapsing and i've talked about that for a long time now because of the die-off that's coming and what we have to realize is that's happening across the board that's going to happen to the airlines so airline flights are going to get way more expensive and there's going to be a whole lot less of them because they just won't have the people to fill the jobs and we might end up with one choice for travel maybe two if you're lucky for for some destinations right mm. um and yeah. i was thinking today like what about the prison guards what happens when they die off mm, and there's not enough point. of them to take care of the prisoners what are they going to do with the prisoners leave them in there to die or turn them loose i mean in the u.s that's like 1.7 million people yeah yeah but aren't 1.65 million of them in there for marijuana yeah, he's pretty much, like yeah. So the world would be a more peaceful place. <laughs> but, exactly. Hey, by the way, that, um, sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, you just got to look across all sectors of society. If there are high vaccination rates in this industry, it might not be there in a few years' time. And uh, I think what we're heading into here could be this period of, of where it just becomes completely undeniable because we get this new Omicron that has eventually kind of evaded what we talked about tonight, the um, infectious pressure to be able to create the disease and, and cause people to start actually getting really sick in new ways from this thing. 
on top of the fact that they're already vaccine injured, so they're going to be weakened, their immune systems are weakened. It's it's going to, I think it's going to get bad when this happens, and he's thinking the next few months. So, like, the time is very, very short for people listening to this to prepare and, like, uh, get those final things you need. The, sh- the shelves are already emptying. I mean, I've been talking to you guys this about this since the beginning of COVID and uh, giving you things to prepare for, but it's about to get real, folks. I think it is. Yeah, hence why I'm here digging holes in the mud. Although yep. it's sunny today, uh, <laughs> oversized greenhouse. So we just like you said, get prepared because you don't right. better to have it and not need it. Yes, than need it and go. Oh shit! Uh, it's going to take me three months for the crops to grow, and well, I don't know how to grow them. And you know, you, mm-hmm. it's just going to be bum fucked if you try and do it during when everything collapses. Better to get it done now, and at least you have it. Yeah, and you don't have to panic about it. Along along those lines, one of the things I want to do at the farm is put in a couple of uh, shallow well pumps, hand pumps, the old pitcher pumps. So yeah, we bought two of those, and then I went out and bought the four inch pipe. And I, you can do this with a, a trash pump, a water pump, like a two inch water pump, and you kind of drive the four inch pipe down into the ground, and then you drop your three quarter in that's attached to the pitcher pump, and it will work for twenty five feet. And out at the farm, the water table's like twelve feet. Um, so I I, I bought well, two of those. Cool. I got thirty meters here. Yeah, I bought two of those. I bought the foot valves. I bought everything that I need to put them together. I haven't put them in yet. I still need to get a trash pump to be able to do that. But like, I figure that's something I can find from one of the farmers in the area. And when I need it, I've already got all the parts I need to put the thing together. Uh, but I haven't, you know, I haven't had time to do it, but just having the supplies on hand, being your own parts store, you know, in our shop, we've got all hundreds of plumbing fittings and, you know, all sorts of things that you might need to do repairs and keep things running at the house. So all that stuff is so important. The more prepared you can be, the better off uh, you're going to be. But, you know, food and water yeah. and shelter are basics right now. Yeah, and don't go throwing anything. Unless it's rubbish, of course, but I, I'm keeping mm-hmm. all the bits and pieces, little parts. Just, not being a hoarder, I'm giving it a you know a 12-month lifespan. If I don't use it, then I'll get rid of it. But mm-hmm. it's, it's just well worth while keeping even a nut in a bolt because you just never know if you're going to need it right. and uh, and you're not going to be able to get it. Hey, and that, um, that Aussie that, that died, that was a cricket player. Okay. A, a rock and roll star. And well, it's our third cricket player now, gone. Wow. Did you, have you yeah, looked into that at all? Do you know what, what the report was? Now, I'm, I'm so busy at the moment. Okay. I don't know yeah, yeah. which way I'm coming or going um, with getting shit done. I've really got to get this greenhouse done in the next month. And uh, that's taken up all my, and, and one man show here, just like you. I'm yeah. So getting everything done. Uh, okay. But I listen to it on the radio because I don't watch any other news, but the, the radio and what I've, I've seen on the internet, um, just, just like the report you said, just driving on a straight road mm-hmm. and, and swerved and um, no, no reason giving, like no heart attack of, I'm on your side there for sure because he would have been vaccinated to travel around the world. And right. he's the same age bracket as Rod Marsh. Oh, no, Rod Marsh is older as Shane Warne, same 46 years old. And um, would have like, got probably the same dose they did. Yeah. And, and I've responded to one of those accidents, but it was somebody that was drinking and in his truck and he came up to a curve and he oversteered and rolled his truck and broke his neck and he was dead when we got there. So. 
and I was first on scene and he's crumpled up in the passenger floorboard and the radio's on. It was really creepy. Truck was on its side. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and still still here where we are, and I've I've been here in this new location for three years since coming back from overseas, Mm -hmm. and in the first year, that was the year before COVID, and it's uh, it's it's not it's not urban, it's not rural, it's kind of in between, semi semi rural, rural you would call it. And I'd be lucky to hear one ambulance, and it's an older population here. In fact, it's the third oldest retired population in Australia, and and I'd be lucky to hear one ambulance a week prior to COVID, and without a word of a lie. Uh, and my son knows now. He'll come out and goes, Daddy, that's the third one for the day. And I'm like we will hear. Two wow. or three ambulances a, da- a day you hear the yeah. sirens. And, uh, and I asked my friend who lives in uh, Victoria, Melbourne, where I'm from, and, and I said to uh, him, like, are you hearing that as well? He goes, he goes, no, they, they turn them off now. He said, but I see two or three a day just in his mm-hmm. suburb where he is. He mm-hmm. said they don't run the sirens anymore. They go they code two. Flashing and, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So very interesting stuff going on where, where that's concerned. Definitely something's happening. That's for sure. Yeah, you know, like, that's all I've got for you. Okay, great. I appreciate you jumping in. Um, I, I think these people are clueless, and it's like Gert said, they're just they're just so bought in. They they can't reverse course now. They would look too bad, and you know probably face criminal charges. So they're just going to push ahead and hope that they can scapegoat this thing away. So, all right. Jose. Yeah, oh, did you see oh. that? You Sorry, you posted that one, that Yugoslavian one, where the guy, the, the president, the ex-president or something or other, um, he got he got capped in public, ex- executed in public, and his wife. Didn't you post that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was, um, yeah, that, it was a reenactment a of a that's play, a but it showed, this happened in, yeah, I think it was Yugoslavia. The, the people, the president and his wife were just looting the country, robbing them blind, you know, enriching themselves and their friends and so forth. And this happened 1989. They were, the people finally got fed up and, um, went and like stormed the castle kind of thing. And, uh, there were military tribunals. They were found guilty. And I know he was executed, uh, I think on Christmas day. I'm not sure about the wife. She might've been as well, but yeah, it's, um, I think there's a lot of, of going to be a lot of angry people when this breaks, when this deadly strain that all these vaccinate, they, there's no way they're going to be able to sweep this under the rug. We're already starting to see it. And um, I, I think it just, just could get real ugly. And what we showed tonight in Sri Lanka, I think is a perfect example of what's coming to a lot of places around the world. Exactly. Okay, man. Keep up the great work. Thank you. Have a great one. All right. Let me see. There was uh, Jose. Come on. Go ahead and unmute yourself if you want to jump on. Hey, Sam. How are you doing? Doing great. What's on your mind tonight? Hey, uh, uh, quite a bit, man. Uh, thanks for the show. It's uh, awesome. You're sure. doing a really great job, and it's, it's helping out a lot of people, and it's definitely helped uh, myself. And I talk to my brothers all the time, and we just get together, do our little powwows every now and then. And just plan out, like, what are we going to do for the future, too? Good. Yeah. So all your information definitely helps with all that stuff. Good. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I sent you a message on uh, Patreon. I, I was the one that mentioned about the whole Exodus wallet, doing that, holding uh, money oh, in USD yeah, yeah. for this whole dump. Okay. Yeah, so, so that's pretty much my plan, is, like, doing that uh, exchange on um, Exodus, being that I'll be off the exchange from that point. Yeah. And I'll be... Uh, 
I'll have USD and I could just quickly make a transfer from, you know, USD to XRP really quick. Okay. It, it might work. Like, but, I don't know. Like, it's just, there's so many kind of unknowns in my mind. Um, I, I would just try and if, I, I think being in cash and uh, maybe having as many options as you can. Some Someone else asked about USDC, if that one was going to be good. And I'm like, I think it's probably fine, but the peg could get off to where you lose 10%, 15% just because of what's happening in order to buy in super cheap. I, I don't know. You know, it may not go down like that at all. Right. But, uh, and, you know, they may be able to kick the can down the road on Tether a little longer, but I, I don't think so. But if we have another big leg down, uh, and of course, Cliff High, his data shows something uh, happening, I think, on the 19th, 17th or 19th that was related to what happened on the 4th, which was when they brought the interest rates up for uh, a half point. Um, right, right. That could be, you know, I think we're already in hyperinflation. They've just sort of manipulated the statistics. If we go to shadow stats, we're, we're well into hyperinflation territory and people see it uh, at the totally. gas pump. I, that's another thing uh, that we actually didn't get to here. Um, right there. Whoop. Right there, America's uh, running on empty. America's diesel stockpiles are rapidly dwindling. Fuel rationing is on the horizon. We're going to have shortages. Uh, we're going to have $10 a gallon diesel and gasoline. And like, what do you do then? It's going to, so much stuff is going to break down because of this. It just, it's the slow grind down that I've been describing for you guys for several years now. That's what we're in. Right, and it's right. no telling when it gets off, but I, I think we're far from over and uh, we're going to see more declines in the stock market. And as all these sort of asset bubbles that the Fed has pumped up with these 0% interest rates for far, far too long. You know, you had uh, one of the old Fed chairmen's, I think in the 80s, had to raise rates to like 15% and then 20%. And they're talking like, well, we're going to do these quarter point raises over the over the next year. It's like, no, you're not. <laughs> it, it, it's it's going to yeah, fall apart. Yeah. So, and it's it's going to be kind of the wild west. Um, but if you right. can do anything through a dex, do something through a non tether backed exchange where you don't have to touch tether. One of the interesting things that happened with um, with the whole Luna situation. And this was, there's an analysis that I was planning to read tonight, but I just decided we're going to do it later. Um, one of the things it pointed out is they listed on these centralized exchanges where they kind of gave up control. And that's where the peg broke. He should have done nothing like let it break. And uh, as long as it stays here on the network, we're good. Uh, and that was kind of his fatal mistake was dumping all the Bitcoin into these exchanges for the sharks to get, um, I forgot where I was going with that, but, I no, I don't remember <laughs> anyway. All right. Anything else? <laughs> yeah, no, it's a mess. Uh, no, one more thing. Uh, I, you know, I don't know if, uh, you'll have another nurse on like an interviewee or anything, but, or a doctor, but I mean, I'd be really interested in knowing like, uh, for instance, like my wife's pregnant, so she'll be due like sometime in November. Okay. And this whole healthcare system is going to collapse. So yeah. it would be very interesting. I mean, being a UR4 thinking and you're getting to this stuff before anyone else is, uh, 
uh, knowing resources as far as like, okay, this healthcare is not going to be there. Yeah. Uh, sources for like midwives or yes. find a uh, midwife where people can go. That, that, right, that's, right. that's how we did it. And I mean, it was, we picked one that was close to a hospital and this was, you know, five years ago or whatever. But, uh, my ex-wife did a natural birth, no drugs. She's a champ. Um, and yeah, same here, you know, that like, that's the way I think to go. That, that's what we're going to be going back to is, is that sort of system. So if you've got those, if, if you've got a pregnancy, a delivery coming up in the coming months, I would say, you know, start, find a good midwife that, you know, that's one-on-one. I think even in that situation, if they're unvaccinated, they're going to be around to help you. If they're, that, it's probably right. a question you want to ask too. Are you vaccinated and find one that's not. And I don't think it'll be hard to, to, to find because a lot of them are very um, forward thinking and understand like what we're facing with the healthcare right, system. Right. So, yeah, that's what I'm going to be looking for. I mean, uh, fortunately, my wife and I were we're not back, so we 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 dodged a bullet, and uh, yeah, good. We're not worried about that at all. But yeah. um, and and like you uh, can have the hospital system as a backup, but at the very least, try and I would find a midwife that you talk to and and understand the program and so forth. And if you if it starts looking more and more iffy at the hospitals because of what's happening, you might want to jump ship and go over to a midwife so right yeah all right man thanks for everything and uh, keep up the good work okay thank you sir have a good evening all right all right hold on one second i gotta get there we go all right uh digital investor go ahead and come on I'm, oh, oh, I've got, got you muted. muted. My, My bad. bad. Oh, hey, Sam. Uh, big fan of the show. Um, just wanted to, I guess, kind of report something and also had a question, if that's all right. I guess I'll just start with the uh, one report. So recently I had a family friend vaccinated, killed himself. Um, and I, I noticed something about a suicide. So just want to report that. On top of that, <clears throat> I no longer live near my parents. So it was my mother, my dad, my brother. Only my mom is vaccinated. They all attended the wake, and she is the only one sick now after attending that wake. There's a ton of people there, and she just took a test, and it says she's positive for COVID. Okay. So, I don't know. She's vaccinated. She's boosted. She's the only one who's vaccinated and boosted, and she's the only one who's sick. Um, and, so, and I'm just go, throwing that out there. Yeah, yeah it, it goes It goes, goes right, right back, back into, into – oh, hold on. I'm going to mute you back, back but, but why am I getting an echo all of a sudden? Oh, I think, I think I know, I know why. why. Um, um, no, there it is. Okay. <laughs> I had the wrong something unmuted. Okay. A couple things I want to comment and, and I'll bring you back in. Um, one, in China, I watched a video today. I debated showing it on the show. It's from this uh, like Gundam style account on Twitter. And it showed uh, this mom who had hung herself in the living room. And then a few feet away, there's like a nine-year-old girl that's hung herself over the, that the mom hung over the counter. And then it goes back into the room and there's an infant that was hung by the little baby rocker that you put them in. 
And the person who made the video said they're finding this every day, every single day. And it's because of these lockdowns and the psychological toll that it takes on people. It is absolutely horrible. Um, there have been a lot of suicides. We talked about the, the band, um, Oh, the black Dahlia murderer or whatever it is band, the lead singer of that committed suicide. He's, he's double vaxxed and boosted, I think. And what Gert explained perfectly is that these boosters, these shots prime these people to pick up these other strains. And because they're so high, they've adapted to become so highly infectious uh, two people that have these vaccine antibodies circulating in them, they become highly susceptible. And, you know, just like it, it, I, I hear that story over and over again <clears throat> where the unvaccinated are fine, but the other, the people who were vaccinated, all of a sudden they're getting sick. That's going to happen, but that's going to happen with the, when the pathogenicity, when we get a variant that's more pathogenic, more virulent. And those people are going to get really sick from that. And a lot of them are going to die. And I think it could sweep through as fast as Omicron did within a matter of, what was it, a month or two? I think that that was, you know, did its big spike. So, like, I think that's what we're going to end up facing. Anything else you want to add, Digital Investor? Um, no, that, that's all I, I had to say. Um, I do have one question, though, if that's all right. Certainly. Um, so I was watching a Cliff High video. I know you're a fan of him. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about, you know, who's behind all this. And he mentioned the Kazak, the Kazars. And I was just wondering if you were familiar with Zachary Hubbard's work. And what do you think about, uh, if you're familiar with his work, what do you think about the Jesuits, the Kazars? Um, do, do those two add up or link up at all? I don't know. Uh, but if somebody wants to send me, I, that's a rabbit hole <clears throat> that I would probably love to dive into and kind of learn about. With Cliff, I, it was interesting that he's like, uh, you know, I'd never heard him talk about the Kazarian Mafia until the Ukraine invasion. And everybody starts talking about the Kazarian Mafia, even though there's like old interviews from a year or two ago. That may be the guy. Um, and now he's like, well, they're the head of the central banks. I'm not totally on board with Cliff there. I don't know his reasoning. I haven't seen his you know, supporting evidence and so forth. Um uh, but I, I do think that there is this sort of hidden hand behind society that's guiding us and um, has been around for a lot longer than the United States of America, certainly. And it's international and uh, rather evil in its intent. So it doesn't really care about you or I. And I guess I'll leave it at that. All right, folks, that's it. So you know, watch out for this strain. If you're vaccinated, get off the sugar, really, really reduce that like right now and make sure your gut biome is in good shape. That's going to give you the best chance to sort of fight this thing. Don't take any more of these shots. They may, they just are going to make you worse. They're just going to make you worse. And, um, at the same time, the clock is really ticking down right now. And what's coming with this strain that Gert has sort of um, forecasted or predicted here is a massive breakdown of society, of supply chain, of life as we know it, and uh, a period of 
of tough times, I think, for a lot of people in a lot of places around the world. So with that, I'm out of here. Thanks, everybody. We'll catch you all next broadcast. Can't see what's happening by now, then you're blind. They said it was to save lives, yeah, that was a lie. The writing's on the wall, man, can't you see the signs? Now they coming for the children, they just crossed the line. They said just give it time, only three weeks and it will all be fine. They want you tuned in to that TV every night, so that they can implant fear deeply in your mind. Now in order to defeat them, yo, we need to unite. The Ministry of Truth has taken over, there's a reason that they chose Corona. Yeah, Corona means crown work it out man it's all symbolism from the beginning they told you a virus of the mind infecting your thoughts but enough is enough now we're saying no more we see the trojan horse at the door this is war we can't ignore the call big brother's gonna fall yeah we gotta light the torch for humanity because